Ed's dad went upstairs to use the restroom. As he's going to the bathroom, he hears this hissing noise from behind the curtain. And he freezes and he peers behind the curtain and there's this alligator staring at him. Welcome to From the Ground Up, where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well, some of you are driving. If you're driving, keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show. Thank you, everyone, for hanging out with us. Welcome to From the Ground Up podcast. So, PortCityPythons.com. We have merch available, like the shirt that I'm wearing right here, the reptiles what do we call this do we go just call it the rug rat shirt or are oh, we... i was about to say I all we're the... breaking laws dang it i was about to say all the 90s babies should know what this is but oh, wait we're not breaking laws it's not the oh, mm. nah. it's questionable okay well we can just claim ignorance when the patent attorneys uh come i think we just us. ruined it right yeah you did you shouldn't cut this out oh, of the podcast at the end edited this is only for the live people <laughs> that's it cut out <laughs> That's yeah. my editing. Yeah, noise. we just came up with this uh, shirt all by our, on our own. This is just yes. in really... 90s style. <laughs> yes. Also, there's going to be animals available. We have our first clutch due in, let's see, one day. Two days. One. One day. Yeah. But then for some reason, I feel like we're going to like have a weird year and none of them are going to go in 55 days. Like, I just like everything was delayed this year. Like everything was well. I back. always put. I always expect them on day sixty, but I put the due date just usually to get beforehand, us excited. just so I can look. <laughs> you know, just so we keep an eye on it, and I guess to torture myself maybe. But it's also exciting. It's like, oh, it's coming. It's close. It's, I don't know. Yeah. But I feel like we're gonna have like seventy days. Seventy? <laughs> I don't know. It's been eighty degrees, pretty solid. So hopefully. Hopefully sixty, maybe sixty-five. Uh, the Brooks Kings are our second clutch due, and. We've never hatched those out, so that should so, be right. fun to who see. Who knows about that? Yeah, who knows? Probably, uh, I mean, a lot of people know about that. Well, but we don't know. We'll figure that. it out. <laughs> They'll come out eventually, I think. Everything looks good, but we should have some animals in the near, not too distant future. That's crazy. I know, right? Um, what else is going on? I guess that's it. That's really it. We have a Patreon page who... These awesome people who we're talking to tonight also have a Patreon page, but they're also supporters of our Patreon page. So big thanks to them. And they to are <laughs> they are raising the roof on their end. If you can't, wow, see are we just gonna do uh, '90s references all night long? <laughs> hey, we're I'm gonna saying. should we do that a tally for the <laughs> most amount of uh, '90s things we can say and bring up tonight? <laughs> yeah, this is this podcast is gonna be sweet. <laughs> For sure. So, everyone, if you haven't figured it out already by the description above, our guests today are a snake educating YouTubing couple. Oh my God. <laughs> is that sick. too much? That is pretty sick. <laughs> Emily and Ed from Snake Discovery. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us. Yeah. And uh, how's it going? It's going well. <laughs> Thanks for having us tonight. Of course. So, Usually, um, when it's a couple, we like to ask who got into reptiles or just exotic animals in general first. Ooh, that's a tough one. Yeah, it is. I mean, I started out when I was younger, like four or five years old, having all the typical animals like the the Pac-Man frog and the anoles and everything because um, my parents would not say no to me, I guess. <laughs> um, but Emily 
I was given the like insect raising kits where like, here's an ant farm that'll last you a couple months and then die off. Here's a uh, larval um, ladybugs and watch them grow up and then release them, which was hopefully they were the native ones is all I can <laughs> hope not. from back in the nineties. But uh, yeah, I think I was into weird animals, but you were specifically into reptiles. reptiles. Yeah. And yeah. I kind of got out of it, but you stayed with the, with the birds. Yeah, I when I was in fifth grade, I got my first bird, a parakeet, and that started a, started a passion for exotic birds. And I, we still have one blue and gold macaw who's near us here. As you might hear her in the background. But she's annoying. <laughs> no, she's cute. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's actually the one. It was birds who brought us together initially because you had gotten a blue yep. and gold. Yeah, I got a blue and gold from some family friends in Michigan, and it was the worst thing I could have done because. We went there with first time bird owners and we went there, got this blue and gold and came home. We went, now what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and at the time I had been working at, uh, I think it's okay. I can say the retail. Yeah. Yeah. I worked at PetSmart. Uh, as soon oh, as I turned, I, I know, no, I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I worked at PetSmart in their pet care department since I was, I think I was 17 when I first started working there. And I was their bird nerd since I was into, at the time I had cockatiels, my parakeets, I think had passed, but since then, or by then, and I had a green wing macaw. And so maybe I had my African gray at that point too. I think I did. Wait, anyway, I had a lot of birds. Nerd, the official title at Petco, or is that like? You know, I probably, I actually became an aviculturist too. So like I was really into parrots. Um, but since I was the, the bird nerd at PetSmart, and when Ed came in wanting to learn more about how to take care of the blue and gold macaw they had just gotten, uh, they were referred, he and his dad were referred to me, and I kind of shared with them how to take care of it. And I said, you know, if you're really serious about owning birds, you should go to this local bird club meeting. And they went. And yep. so that's where I kind of got to know Ed more personally. Instead of just as a customer, because I don't remember you the first time I saw yeah. you, because I talked to your dad. No, we all know how it went. I walked in, <laughs> lady, go with me. And you just went with me. <laughs> yes, that's how it yep. was. Gotta pump me up, Emily. Yeah, Jeez. You couldn't talk to girls back then, so I talked to your dad, because <laughs> you were both customers. All right, I'm going to leave now. No. <laughs> and then you came back again, answered more questions, then we met at the bird club. Yep. Yeah. But my, my rule was just stay close to her and eventually she'll notice me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's how you did it. Yep. <laughs> well, it worked then, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Now I got the, the ring and everything. Yeah, so yeah, it worked. <laughs> but. Um, but then we kind of got into reptiles together. Mm -hmm. uh, when we started dating, we, well, uh, while working at PetSmart, I was introduced into the world of reptiles. So that's where my. Uh, fascination with them begun was actually when I was a later teenager and when we were dating we were like well maybe we should try a snake and so Ed got this beautiful albino ball python back when they were like oh the craze or the the newest thing and it was like five hundred dollars yeah. I think for this expensive. baby female albino ball python but that was our yeah. first reptile together and then we had her for quite a while just one snake yeah. somehow we managed to have just one snake for several years <laughs> and then we got Janet yeah, then we got Janet, <laughs> my first snake, which was my bull snake. And then I think by the next year, we had like 20 or 30 something yeah. reptiles. Then it became infectious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's pretty much how it goes. So, Emily, I know that you are traditionally educated in the way of, I believe you have like a biology or zoology degree, correct? Yeah, fisheries and wildlife. I have a bachelor's in that. I went to the University of Minnesota. 
And then, so Ed, you're just purely, you were just into it, just yep. drawn to it for whatever, which way. I'm yeah, going. I have a uh, degree in IT, so completely opposite world. <laughs> but still important. Yeah. And it comes in handy. Well, I, I bring up like every job I go to, I'm like, yeah, I'm into snakes. And they're like, oh, cool. You got a snake? I'm like, a couple. <laughs> and they're, they're always like, what, what, why do you have snakes? I'm like, cause they're cool. And they're like, yeah, but that's weird. I'm like, See, I always told Joe, do not tell the people you're interviewing I for. I hate being he always the snake brings, guy. But he always brings it up. And I'm like, why are you telling them? <laughs> it always becomes a thing in the interview. Because you're like, I can't work because we're going to do a podcast tonight. Or, you know, the summer's kind of weird. There's, I'll be hatching out snakes. And... Well, I think there's a meme out there that has two glass jars or mason jars. One says swear jar and it's about empty and one is random reptile knowledge that nobody wanted to know jar and it's full of coins. Yeah. That's so relatable. Yeah. Yeah. And then everyone will forever, if anything ever happens snake related, tell you about it. And oh or, my oh gosh. see them tell you how much they dislike snakes, which is also a fun one. <laughs> right. Like if you go up to someone who has puppies in her hands and you're like, oh, I, I hate puppies. They're just disgusting. Like that's not acceptable. Why yeah. would you do that to a snake owner? Or like the people who say, yeah, I saw this bull snake and it was 15 feet long. It stretched all the way across the road. It's like, no, no you didn't. No. <laughs> I love the people that you have a snake out and it's obvious their pet and they come up to you. I killed a snake the other day. It's yeah. like, thanks. I, I don't know what to tell you. Hey, what's my response supposed to be right now? <laughs> exactly. So not everyone's like second snake is going to be a bull snake. And it seems like you have focused a little bit on bull snakes from there on out. So what kind of drew you to bull snakes? You know, it was just uh, adopting our first one, or my first snake, and our first bull snake. Uh, it, his personality was so like, unlike what everyone said bull snakes um, act like. Um, people will say bull snakes have feisty attitudes, or they're sassy, and they hiss, and they're just not handleable. But when we went to our first local herpetological society meeting, they do adoptions every month, and they just get so many unwanted reptiles. They, they just try to find homes for everything that's brought in. And one of the animals for adoption was this bull snake, but his spine stuck out like no joke about a quarter inch all the way down his back. And then his backstory was that he was found just abandoned in an apartment complex. So we signed up to be members and we adopted him and we very quickly became fans of bull snakes after seeing how docile he was. He wasn't head shy. He just, he just wanted to be fed and be brought up to a, a normal weight. And even after that, he was friendly. Mm -hmm. So that was Janet. We thought he was a girl at first, but that was Janet. And then we purchased a female, a breeding size. We, the, or the first snakes we wanted, or we we bred were these bull snakes, because so we were like, we should give it a give it a shot. So we bought a an, a large adult female named her Brad, and bred them. They had awesome babies. And I think it was after that, we realized there's a lot of morphs involved with bull mm -hmm. snakes. So, I mean, there's so many different color and pattern mutations out there. And when you combine them, you get so many cool results that that's that first clutch, it like made us fall into breeding or made us love breeding snakes first off. And then it was the bull snakes specifically after learning all their morphs that made us fall in love with them. And obviously it seems like snake discovery as a, just education like reptile outreach was existing before your YouTube channel, correct? 
Yeah, actually, uh, we started the YouTube channel after or in response to people who attended our programs. So I would do these programs at libraries or scouts, and after teaching the audience of various ages about cool animals, these cool reptiles, they'd fall in love with them too, and then they'd have all sorts of questions after the show. How do I take care of a fat-tailed gecko like yours? And I have kind of a, a busy schedule, especially during the summer months, so I'm usually going from one program to the next, and I don't have a ton of time to answer everyone's questions after the show. So instead of kind of, I didn't want to blow them off though, so I started a channel and we made a couple informational videos that answered pretty common questions we would get, and then I was able to redirect people just to the channel to watch that instead of um, me being late for my next program. <laughs> But then it took off, which was unexpected. And yeah, so were you? Sorry. No, I had a question before. I wanted to say I hoped you named one of the babies from that pairing uh, Rocky Horror or Riff Raff. <laughs> they were named after that movie. Although, you know what? We didn't name, well, we did name them, just random human names. Janet wasn't named after that movie. But when we said Janet was a male, somebody said you should name the Brad. other one Brad. We yeah. had, honestly, we have still not watched that movie. We haven't. We've we seen parts of it. Okay, she's seen parts of it. I haven't. The only, the closest thing I've seen is back to the 90s, uh, the Drew Carey shows <laughs> reference to it. Um, other than that, I haven't seen anything with that movie. You but somebody, somebody said, name her Brad. And I was like, that sounds right. And then we did it. And then like, after YouTube kind of blew up, people were like, Rocky Horror Pictures Show. And I was like, oh, okay, that's what that is. <laughs> Now we both have to watch the entire movie yeah. so that we know what we're talking about. It. Yeah, y'all were like super into it. I didn't even know if Joe caught the reference. I've never seen it either. So. Uh, okay, <laughs> we're not the only ones. It's weird. It's good and weird. But oh, it definitely it's, seems it, it's a little very weird. weird. Um, like <laughs> no other thing I've ever seen before. But the music's good. So <laughs> that's the, well, that's the uh, opinion I got on it too from the little bits I had seen. Okay. Like, this is very interesting. It's strange, but I gotta gotta watch the whole thing. I haven't seen it yet then. Really? You like Clockwork Orange then? Yeah. That's a good movie. Yeah. That's a weird like one. That is weird. <laughs> <laughs> um Ryan in the chat asked if you guys have ever tinkered with the locales of bull snakes. Not not specifically. We're familiar with them. Like the Kankakees, the uh um, the like Pacific's all, all sorts. Texas. Yeah, te we. I mean, we think Brad is either a Montana locale or a Texas locale, but we haven't, you know, without knowing her background, we don't know for sure. Uh, and we know Janet. It was he passed away recently, uh, but he was of a Minnesota locale, uh, just based on talking to our local herpetologist, and he was like, "Yeah, he looks just like our natives." Um, but we haven't bred, yeah, specific locales. We just kind of go after the morphs, I guess. Yeah. I wouldn't mind trying out a couple locales. We need more space. Yeah, we need more space. <laughs> we need more big racks. Yeah, so like if people don't see behind you, there's two enclosures. And if you haven't seen like a lot of their videos, there's pretty much reptiles throughout Everywhere. your own house, it seems. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually watching our uh, Burmese python trying to escape his cage right now. He just ducked down. <laughs> Did he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of everywhere, which is why we're hoping to, in the next year or so, start up a reptile education center so we can not only teach people out of like a base location about reptiles, but also move some of them out of our house and into that, including Rex. So that's, a, that's our current project, which has been a ton of work. <laughs> yeah, and it seems like you guys kind of juggle both things. So you're breeding animals, you're using animals for programs. So 
how do you kind of keep the two? How do you plan accordingly? It's, I don't know, it's a lot of work. With Ed works the night shift for with IT, and during the day when he's not because you know Ed sleeps during the day, we'll we'll be busy filming or. Um, I guess then we're planning for the expos that we run. We run some reptile shows up here or we're planning future videos yeah. or I'm out at programs. So we're just kind of a little bit, we're just everywhere. Honestly, I try to do most of my editing at night when Ed's at work so we can chat online. And then I just kind of have to stay up until like you know, two or three or something. And then I get up in the morning and go to programs. So it's kind of just around the clock work, but it's so much fun. It's so rewarding. You get to meet all sorts of new people. Yeah. We were actually just driving around today and we're sitting at a stop sign or stoplight and we're talking all of a sudden we hear ee and we're like what in the hell we look over and there's a little there's a girl and the i love your channel and it's like oh okay hi oh, <laughs> that was really that's cool so exciting. <laughs> it's like so flattering and humbling all at the same time yeah. to be recognized because <laughs> it seems like unlike you know, there's plenty of people on YouTube who want to be YouTube stars, but it seems like you very organically just made snake videos and became it kind of blew YouTube up. Star. I guess people yeah. just liked our videos. Everyone likes Ed's humor. You pull them all together. Nah. That's what I was always wondering. Like, Ed, did you always want to be behind the camera? Did you not want to be in front of the camera? Or is it just convenience? I just, it, we needed somebody to hold the camera and Emily's better looking, so... <laughs> oh, that's uh, it. <laughs> yeah. Uh but yeah, I didn't really I've never really had an urge to be in front of the camera. So with it, it just kind of made sense uh, to stand behind and kind of give advice and then sneak in that quip. Yeah. Now everybody thinks like Ed's a legendary Pokemon that you don't get to see that often. And when you do, he takes off. Just like yeah. they, they always do in the games. There's, like you're just gone. There's like three selfies of me out there with, with other with fans. One, because the first one ever was a little boy who came up to me and he's like, can I have a selfie with you? I'm like, why do you want a selfie with me? And he's like, you're Ed. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> but I mean, that's going to be cool that despite the fact yeah. that you are not seen very much, they know who you are. Yeah. That is cool. People just it, want more of you. It is kind of, it's, it's flattering, even though I don't really ever show up. You know, it took probably about a year and a half before anybody knew who I was. And that's just because Emily kept going, we meaning Ed and me do this kind of stuff. And then it was just name dropping after that. And mm -hmm. finally they just picked up that I was there. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> but. And now in the future, obviously you said you want to do like an education center type of thing. So this would be a public facility that people would be able to come tour. Yeah. So ideally I would like uh, the front portion to be a reptile store. So reptiles and reptile supplies for sale. And the back, in a perfect world, back two thirds or so, we want a decent amount of space dedicated to this. We want more of like naturalistic displays, like large enclosures with informational signs and maybe some hands-on interactive things to teach people about the species inside of each enclosure. So kind of like an indoor zoo almost, yeah. but with reptiles and amphibians that you pay a few dollars to go back there and check out the big stuff. Or if you just need feeders for the day, you can just swing by, pick them up in the retail area up front and then take off. Although I would also like a, uh, an adjacent classroom in this building so that I can do all my birthday parties and school programs on site. And then I don't have to travel as much to do birthday parties because I do a lot of driving right now. But it'd be so nice if the party could like rent this classroom for or a party room for like three hours. They can 
have the whole party there. I'll just do a program. And then maybe they could, the, whatever price it is, includes the uh, admission to the um, display area. So that's, that's what we're hoping. Um, we probably need like, what, three, four, 5,000 square feet for this. Yeah. So currently we're working with, uh, we actually just met with a couple of bankers recently to figure out loan information. And we're going to tour a building that hopefully will work out tomorrow. And we'll see where that goes. And then it's just a matter of talking to the, the cities and the towns that the potential buildings are located in to make sure that something like this would be allowed. Oh, right. man. So this is like really happening. Like you yeah. are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this they, is happening. <laughs> well, the goal is like Ed doesn't want to work IT forever. Forever. And so, I hate the night shift. I like the night shift. I don't have to do as much work, but I don't like the night shift. Yeah. It doesn't really cater to your normal circadian rhythm as a no. human being. It's like every Sunday, because I, I work 10, 10, 4 tens. So every Sunday is my foot back to days. And it's like I either get like three hours of sleep and then I'm just tired all day or i just stay up in which case it's like don't talk to me that day <laughs> and uh then it's like today is like i got a good night's sleep so i'm back to normal but yeah. but then you have to switch tomorrow night to staying up i have night. to stay up all night tomorrow night so <sighs> he basically so. you basically have this job for benefits yeah and then help save up a little bit for this building yep. and then once we can prove that this facility is profitable enough to for us to be on our own then he'll leave his current job, and then we'll just do everything the two of us. Because, I mean, it seems like this would be a handful for one person to, oh, to yeah. maintain. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, so we it, probably won't have employees initially. We want to make sure that it's profitable yeah. enough, and we want to get a hold of things first. But that will probably be the goal down the line is to have some employees as well. We'll use the free family help first. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so, Ed, are you currently able to do any of the birthday parties and programs with Emily or it just is the ones she does on like weekends and stuff? I'll attend like yesterday. We went to a small county fair and we just kind of, uh, you know, it's it's I'll stand there and I'll hand her reptiles and stuff. But she's she knows how everything she knows how her programs run. So it's really smooth. Um, so I'll just leave it all to her and then I'll help hold the animals afterwards as the kids are touching them or holding them. Um, it used to be with Rex, our alligator downstairs, anytime she came out, I had to go because it's too much. Person. Yeah, it's too much for just one person to try and wrangle a gator, especially one like spunky like Rex's. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, you're lucky he's he's a small guy, at least for yeah. an alligator. Yeah, I mean, being stunted is unfortunate, but it works out in our case, being able to, to house her. It's a good uh, good warning animal to say, don't get alligators as pets. Yeah, really. That's why we would like to have her in this facility. Yeah, so we can, back. okay, we can tell people that alligators don't make good pets. Like, this is what happens if you improperly take care of one. Yeah, so I guess for people who are uninitiated, um, what's kind of the story? Is that a bad word for that? What's, no. what's kind of the, uh, Are the, you uh, initiated? <laughs> yes, I'm initiated. Damn it. <laughs> so basically, uh, when I graduated college, I was really into trees, like anything natural resources. I, I still really like trees, uh, but I was helping out this guy in his bonsai tree nursery, and I would help kind of trim and prune trees and rewire them. So you know, because you like sculpt them, you shape them. Uh, and I went into his house one day. And I saw this wooden box with a little, like, clear window on the front. And this box was about four by two feet by two feet. And it opened, like, by a hinge on the top. I looked inside, and there's this alligator inside. And, and there's a small, like, 
cat litter box in one on one side and I had like an inch of water in there and there's this broken shelf on the other and that that was Rex's home for what turned out to be 27 years so I talked to him and I'm like how'd you get this alligator and I just wanted to learn a little more and it turned out he uh brought her up from the Everglades as a hatchling back in the 80s when it was legal to do so I think I don't know he had her illegally yeah, at the time limitation. <laughs> yeah he didn't really care he doesn't really care if it's legal or not yeah he think. doesn't he's an eccentric guy but uh, he had her kind of for the novelty of it and at the time she was about three feet long including her tail maybe three and a half something like yeah. that so over the next six months I kind of started planting the seed and telling him your alligator needs more space it needs more space and then he finally came back from some vacation or something and he's like well do you would you be interested in rex and i'm like well we don't want an alligator because at this point we only had his ball python yep. and my bull snake yep and a spock and our green iguana we used to have yeah and so we had just a few animals and we're like oh, we don't want an alligator but we want her out of this situation so we said yes and we renovated a guest bedroom down in the lower level of the house. And now she has like nine by nine feet of space. And the, the unfortunate thing, though, is since she was kept in this box for so long, she's heavily stunted. She has glassy teeth or had glassy teeth, which basically is a calcium deficiency. So her teeth are more clear than white. They stick out sideways, too. And her snout, as she, as she grew, her snout would hit the sides of this box. And because of a um, some sort of vitamin deficiency, I'm sure... A variety of deficiencies. Probably MBD. Probably, yeah, I'm sure it's a form of MBD. Uh, her snout curved upwards, so she kind of looked like a duck, and her eyes were huge. Everything was out of proportion. She's kind of grown into her face now, which mm -hmm. is nice. She looks more like an alligator, but she still does. You can tell there's something wrong <laughs> in how she looks, even to this day. I see normal ones. I'm like, you look weird. Yeah, like your eyes are so small on these normal <laughs> alligators. What's wrong with that thing? Yeah. That looks normal? Oh, okay, never mind. Oh, that's what a healthy one looks like. Okay, so we've had her for five years now, and she acts perfectly normal. Her glassy teeth has pretty much fixed itself. Uh, she had about a bunch of mouth rot, too, now that I think about it. And we had to use baking soda and water to brush out her mouth once a week. That's all cleaned up. But, yeah, she still looks a little funky, but yeah. that doesn't slow her down. The process of brushing out the mouth of an alligator seems... Yeah, yeah, so explain that as someone who obviously <laughs> didn't have much like crocodilian experience before this, all of a sudden you have to clean out the mouth of a gator. Yeah, so we worked with a veterinarian down at the Aces Crocodile Sanctuary down in Belize, and she recommended uh, kind of everything we did to help rehab this alligator. And she's the one who recommended baking soda and water for teeth brushing. So I would, back then she was only about three and a half feet. So yeah, and she, she basically could fit my, my hand could fit around her neck like that. Like, like she was really circle. skinny. That's she was great. little. So, so we were able to, one of us hold her while the other just brush her teeth. Like you have your hands to keep her mouth closed. Cause even though it was closed, it was still open with her. So I just brush everything out, rinse it out with water. We did that once a week. We don't yeah. do it anymore, which is good. She's bigger now. Yeah. I, I mean, we still could, but it would take a lot more effort. <laughs> yeah. She's about four-ish feet now, four and a half yeah, feet. Four, four and a half. Yeah. She grew about a foot in the first three months we had her. And we're like, oh God, what do we get ourselves into? This thing's going to be 10 feet before we know it. But then she stopped and now she's kind of just gotten more Bulky. muscular, which is good and nerve wracking at the same time. <laughs> so we target trained her and now she's much more manageable. Yeah. So how does one have a gator not <laughs> ruin their house? 
Essentially. <laughs> so we had to do we had to gator proof this bedroom. We and it's a carpeted normal bedroom. We Ed Ed built a gate. How would you describe the gate? I just put up a plywood a plywood wall with yeah. with braces so she couldn't push it down. And then we went in and a and, door and a door so we could get in. And uh, then we put uh, sheet linoleum all the way around. Like Curves just, it up the sides yeah. of the wall. So it's kind of waterproof, kind of, except we, for the spot she put holes in there for it. Yeah, we used sealant like in the corners where it kind of overlapped. We had to cut it to size. Use sealant there. And I mean, where her outwards poking teeth have poked, yeah. there's probably not waterproof there anymore. But uh, on top of the vinyl we have this uh, fake grass turf to give her some traction so she didn't slip and slide on the vinyl and she has a cave she has basking in lights and a uvb light over her pool which is just a big the largest kitty pool we could find yeah it's, it's big too like it's uh, she's we've upgraded her pool several times as she's grown uh but she has the pool cleaned with a canister filter and heated with an inline heater and then the UVB light just is a strip T5, I think. T5, yeah. Yeah, T5 strip bulb hanging on top because she spends most of her time in the pool. So we wanted to make sure we she, she got as much UVB as possible. The only problem is when somebody goes to clean the pool and then she forgets that she left the water running back into the pool and tries to flood her basement. <laughs> I've flooded the basement several times. <laughs> Once we were, I was cleaning her uh, pool. Oh, that's right. Oh, this is bad. I was cleaning the pool and refilling it and we left to go to the town because there's nothing where we live here there's no restaurants or anything we uh closest town's about 10 minutes away so we left after refilling her pool she went to i think it was hardy's yeah. to, at the town nearby and we're in the drive-thru when i realized oh i didn't turn off the water and so we left and we you made us wait for food didn't i did you? i'm not gonna wait <laughs> we, already, we already got the food like uh paid for the food yeah. we might as well get it at that point it was too late anyway <laughs> So, I mean, okay, we got our food, we rushed home, and there was about an inch of water down in the basement. <laughs> so, that was fun to clean up yeah. with our shop vac. We've gotten a lot of use out of our shop vac cleaning up <laughs> overflowed pools. Yeah. Yeah, but it's the lowest level of the house. So, you know, concrete base, Yeah, it's okay, right? It's all good. <laughs> are you just hooking up, like, a hose to the nearest sink? Like, how are you? Yeah, we it? use, like, um, an aquarium water change siphon. So we just have that. Leave. Yeah, we don't. We don't know. <laughs> oh yeah. So like when you do a water change on a fish tank, you can either use just a simple tube and let uh, gravity create a vacuum and just pull it out from the tank down into a bucket. Um, but with bigger water changes, you can use a, 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 a siphon that actually screws into a sink of your or to the faucet of your sink, and then you just turn it on full blast, and then it'll push water straight out to the tank. Or you can turn it on reverse, and it'll suck the water out for you. Oh. So we use one of those more like heavier duty siphons for the turtle tanks and for Rex's pool. Oh. And thankfully our mud room is right on the other side of Rex's room. So mm -hmm. when the room floods, it goes over into the cement basement. So. Right. so then we just have a clean mud room afterwards. Yeah, that's what it is. Clean. Yeah, that's what I was doing. Oh. The whole time. <laughs> so yeah, so, it's, it's interesting owning that big of a reptile. Although she's not, You'd think that should be a lot of work, and honestly, she's not much work at all. I mean, it's a little bit of maintenance when you're doing a water change on her pool, but we do more work just cleaning the filter out since that keeps the water clean. And then uh, we just, yeah, we just clean out that filter, add new uh, filtration media to it, set it back up. There's really not much work. Just feeding her. No, it's really, really hard to clean it, Emily. Yes, don't get an alligator. <laughs> don't there. get an alligator, anybody. <laughs> yes. Unless you're, you have an entire house or something to give to it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that is really, really interesting that they're sold and legal in places yep. up in north, up in the north where it's hard to. Yes. Yeah, there's a there's a touristy area like a couple hours away from us, and they have kind of something similar to what we want to set up with a bunch of reptiles on display, and you pay a few bucks, except for all of his snakes are obese, and he sells baby alligators in the retail portion. Like $200, you can bring home your own baby alligator. It's terrible, but it's legal in Wisconsin. Yeah, and people are going to get mad, by the way, that saying that things should be illegal. Sorry, guys, but... (laughs) I mean... We can't. We shouldn't have. Me. We shouldn't have everything. There's no hard line there. Like, I think everyone like, should get an opportunity to do things, but there needs no, to be some see, type I, of educating. I think there's. We should. I think there's some things we shouldn't have. We need to get away places. from a uh, definitely impulse and also like a roadside zoo type of mentality in the way that that's what that sounds like. That say that guy running is running, but what you're trying to open up is something you know, a lot more dignified in the way of it's totally education-based and, you know, in the best interest of the animals as well. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's what really we're going for. Like, we don't want to sell red-eared sliders since people are buying those and releasing them up here where they're not native. So we're definitely but not going to... they're gonna... so cute when they're that big. Yeah, and they're only like $20. And but... they can live in a container this big the rest of their life, oh, right? Gosh. With and a little plastic them... palm tree in there. Yeah. yeah. And you feed them flies or whatever it was that they <laughs> were. Right. Yeah, I think they were advertised as being able to be fed flies. But yeah, we're not going to sell things we don't agree with, like iguanas, green iguanas. Not going to sell those. And we will have wrecks there, but basically just to teach people about alligators, their natural history, their range, their diet behavior, and that they don't make good pets. Yep. And so are there certain things when you open the facility that you definitely like want to get or want to add to your collection? We want to do a lot of work with native species to the area so people can learn about what they might find in their backyard. And then hopefully fewer of them will get, uh, fewer will get killed because just people don't know what it is. But if they do know, then they, they might have a better chance. Ed wants to do venomous stuff. Yeah. Well, I'd like to, because you know, at least here in Minnesota and Wisconsin, the first thing you hear is, oh yeah, I saw that snake the other day. It was, it was a rattlesnake. And the other day I was talking, it was a pine rattlesnake. And I'm like, no such thing as pine rattlesnake. <laughs> And he goes, I'm like, were you thinking timber rattlesnake? He's like, oh yeah, that's what it was. And it was over here and it was in this area. And so we had to, we had to, I had to kill it. And I was like, there's no timber rattlesnakes in this area. He's like, yeah, there are. I'm like, no, there's really not. They're all down in the bluffs and like near Red Wing and whatnot. And even farther south. And he goes, and he's like, oh, but it was buzzing its tail. I'm like, that was either a bull snake or a fox snake, most likely. They're both harmless snakes. I don't know. Okay. Can you hear any interference with Ed playing with the other earbud? I'm twitchy, oh, sorry. Joe does that all the time. And she'll and it hit drives me. me. And... We, we, play, we do lots of... Oh, that sounds weird. I Yeah, he does it all the time. <laughs> but yeah, I would like to get, you know, at least a timber rattlesnake in and, you know, become trained in how to handle them and stuff like that. But like, just so people can see what they look like and see how much of a difference there is between them and a bull snake and a fox snake and everything that's going to be harmless, especially near the cities where most people are going to be, where there's not any of those anyways. So we'll see if the city would allow a venomous snake. We would love to apply for a permit to have just one native venomous, because that's the only one in Minnesota that you see is the timber rattlesnake. And that's probably where our facility will be. Um, so yeah, we'd like one that's relevant, but that wouldn't be right away. No, that would be a little ways down the line. On the line. Yeah, we're technically on the Wisconsin side of the St. Croix River, but a lot of my programs are in Minnesota and Ed works in Minnesota. Yep. So yeah, we're right, we're right on the border. 
And are there more favorable laws on one side or the other as far as keeping exotics? There are, but they're changing. So right now, it's it's how would you describe it? with it changing? I don't know which one would be better at this point. Wisconsin. You still think Wisconsin's oh, yeah. better? Wisconsin loves everything. Yeah, they do. Wisconsin doesn't really care as long as it's not a native species of a native, like wild type coloration. You, you can't sell any of those because they don't want you catching wild reptiles and selling them. But if they're a morph of any sort at all, then you're good. Totally fine. And like for us with hognose snakes, those are like, they live close to Wisconsin, but they are considered a Minnesota native and not a Wisconsin native. So we're able to do the hognoses. We just have to be mindful of the species and the morphs that we keep basically. But in Minnesota, you need like permits for all sorts of things. And especially right now, uh, they are changing the laws. So at at this point in time, you can't own any native Minnesota native species of her or of reptile, whether it's a morph or kept bred or not. Like all of them, as of like several months ago, are now illegal. Yeah. So people are kind of freaking out over in Minnesota because they don't know if their hognose snake is illegal, which it is, and what they should do with it right now because although it wasn't illegal last year, now it is. So that's all still up in the air. And all we're told, since we're not really getting a ton of information about it or how they're going to handle it, we're just told to wait and mm -hmm. we'll be notified later of what they decide, which is really frustrating. Yeah, basically the DNR wanted to stop wild collection, which is important, but they did it basically just banned everything. And right. now they're coming up with how they want to actually enforce the law and what they want to make changes to. And it's, it's a lot of like, well, they're illegal but don't really worry about it right now. And mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, but eventually you're going to come up with something and we want to be there. Like when the law was getting in place, we want, if we would have known it was getting in place, there would have been some pushback. But since everybody was like, Oh, don't worry about it. Don't, it got passed. And now it's going to be, don't worry about it. And then all of a sudden stuff's going to be illegal and it's going to be, well, we bought this stuff from captive bred animals, but it's illegal. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's kind of weird how they're doing it, but. I'm just glad we're in Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> We can own five of everything that's native in Wisconsin. Yeah, of natural morph. If it's a, if it's a any designer morph, they don't care. It's yeah. unlimited. Yeah, have as many of that as you want. Yep, <laughs> it's just funny. But it will definitely affect your facility if you do intend to open it in Minnesota. Yeah. Yes, it would. It we'll be applying like... for a lot of educational permits. Yeah, I, they mentioned something about educational permits, so I think that would be allowed. But again, we don't know. They're not even. I asked how I can apply for an educational permit because I do a lot of my programs in Minnesota. And I wouldn't be allowed to anymore if this law passes as it's currently stated. And they're like, I didn't hear anything back, basically. So we don't know. My guess is they'll figure something out and we'll be able to get a permit. Yeah. Should be Are okay. you guys um, aware of kind of what the deal is with that? I know that there was something going around that they wanted to ban like reptile educators or something like that. Uh, yes, we have heard about that. Thankfully, US Arc is... Uh knows of that and getting the right lawyers looking into that so mm -hmm. i'm not 100 percent clear on what the what the law was being trying to be changed to but i'm not either actually i've been so busy i haven't been able to read it but it might be one of those things where although no person can do programs businesses can one of those weirdly yeah. worded ordinances i don't know it is yeah. scary though because once you start banning education that's uh never a good thing right it just it seems so many times they're trying to make these laws or pass these things to weed out the like bad side of it. But then you weed out all the good people too. like, you know, 
there's a lot of people who shouldn't be doing educational shows because one, they're probably not actually educational. Two, they're not keeping their animals the way they should. But then mm-hmm. at the same time, if you just put the all-out ban on everyone, then you're cutting out the good ones too. And I think mm-hmm. that's what happens with a lot of laws when it comes to reptiles. But there's not enough money, unfortunately, to create some type of system that would give you proper licensing or permitting or you know an educational course or anything like that. To right, do you it. don't have that like we don't get the backup, you know, like the legit, not legitimacy, but like, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's not, there's unfortunately just not enough money in it at this point. If, if someone, if there was million dollar companies just doing reptile education, oh, yeah. I'm sure. Right. Like if, know, Oprah, if Oprah tomorrow, <laughs> if Oprah tomorrow was like, I'm going to start a reptile education thing, that law would go out the door. No, she'd probably write the law and be like, no one else can do reptile education. <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> That's what you think. You don't know the other side of Oprah. Oh, you know the other side of Oprah? <laughs> <Okay. laughs> right. Now we've gone way too far off. <laughs> I'm going to stay out of this conversation. Maybe open up. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Oprah? <laughs> but it's hard because obviously you want to use native snakes to educate the general public the about <laughs> the snakes that they're seeing in their backyard. Yeah, and that's what teachers want me to bring to their their classrooms, our native species, for that exact same reason. I have a couple of classes I go to, like classes of sixth graders I go to every year, and they want me to focus on native reptiles that they might find in their backyard that following summer. So it works out so well to do natives, but if they're not allowed anymore, then I we'd have to do exotics, which we could do exotics, but yeah. it's not going to have that same effect. Right. For sure. So I think, and I think that there's a lot of people who you know, maybe in similar positions, work with stuff that, you know, you guys work with or we work with that would like to get into education. So even if it's just you want to do like one show or something, I mean, how could the everyday herp keeper, you know, do something educational and give back to the community? Um, The biggest thing I would recommend is, which is a tough hurdle to get by, would be getting insurance. Because a lot of places won't even consider you if you don't have insurance. So that is definitely the number number one thing on your list that you should be acquiring. But Also, uh, herp societies. Herp societies do a lot of outreach. Now, it kind of stinks if you don't have a herp society in your area. But I know like the Minnesota Herp Society and the Madison Herp Society all do a lot of outreach. And like I know with Madison or with uh, Minnesota, they have the insurance behind them. So... People can bring their animals. They they can get into it and see if they like educating the public, which is uh, definitely a hurdle to get across when people are like, oh, let me poke. Let me poke. Kids always want to poke their faces. Like, why? Why do kids want to poke the face of the animal? Like, no, you can't poke his nose. Or like, do you see the hog nose's upturned snout? Isn't that unique? Yeah, I'm going to poke it. Like, no, don't do that. <laughs> anyway, you have to be like very patient with kids, too. So try out your local herpetological society. Uh, if you have one, any of their hands-on opportunities and first see if it's right for you because you definitely have to be a people person. We know some people who uh, try to do programs, but they just, they're unable to get um, messages across. Well, they're just, they really like reptiles, but it's tough to communicate their love of reptiles to people. Like it's hard to describe, Um, but you definitely have to you have to be able to convey a message. Exactly. Especially yeah. to a usually a younger audience. Yeah. Because those are, you know, usually it's birthday parties or library programs. And 
the teens are doing their own thing and the older, the 20 somethings are all working. So it's usually mm -hmm. the kids in the summer that go to library programs or reptile birthday parties, even though we've done a handful of adult birthday parties, which are pretty fun. Those are so much fun. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Oh, what's I've done, Yeah, I've done birthday parties for people our age and I'm like having a beer, have, not a beer, I don't like beer, but I'm having a drink like as I'm doing my program or they just handing me a shot of something like, this is great, I'm getting paid to do it. This is awesome, it's so much fun, like working for myself. But it's a lot of work behind it. Yeah. So I guess I would first, not if anyone's interested in doing programs, definitely do not quit your day job. Yeah, it's definitely something that you should be doing on the side at first to see if you first off like it, and uh, if you can make it profitable enough to quit your own job. Like if I quit everything else, um, it'd be I could probably make a full time job just doing the programs, but I still I decided to also do the reptile expos that we run. I, I definitely do the two of those. I wouldn't drop one over the other because I do need both to make a reasonable living. I mean, YouTube's something uh, kind of else on its own, but if it weren't for YouTube, I'd definitely still be doing the other two. Mm -hmm. I just do all three instead. <laughs> so, so reptile shows will actually say, hey, we need entertainment for you know education and stuff like that, and you actually get paid to go to the reptile shows? Oh, well, we run reptile shows, like expos, like very small version of Tinley. <laughs> oh, we run shows. You started the two shows? Yeah, yeah. We have about 10 shows a year. Uh, it's a variety of reptile, bird, and exotic animal shows in both Minnesota and Wisconsin. So we have um, our, our largest venue is in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, where we have just over 100 tables, and the vendors, all the tables get booked right away. But that's the other tier of our business, yep. I guess. That's running these shows. No idea. I don't know how you do so much, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> There's a good amount of overlap, which is really nice because we'll like tell our subscriber base, yeah, we have a show this weekend. You should come check it out. And that helps the show. And then the um, shows, sometimes uh, if I'm doing a program and people want to learn more about reptiles, I'll tell them to come to a show. And there's just really good overlap. It works together pretty well. Synergy. Synergy. That's it. But it's a lot of work, too, because <laughs> we do all the advertising, the venue bookings, the vendor drama. Oh, my gosh. There's so much vendor drama. But that's part of it, just working with people. So how long have you been running those shows? Those have been doing since we first started dating, actually. So back in, oh, I don't know. 2009? Yeah. Well, I think we started in about, like... 2011 or so, 2012. Oh, okay. Is when we start. No, not dating. When we started the <laughs> I was shows. like, I'm pretty sure I have that number down. No, no, no. You're you're good. <laughs> yeah, we started just with bird fairs because I was. We were both bird nerds back before we got into reptiles. So we ran these bird shows where people, you know, would buy birds and bird supplies. And then when we got into reptiles, we started our own version of the reptile shows in this area. And then uh, we just kind of combined them all into one. And we also do uh, all exotic pet expos. So you say it's so matter of fact, but how does, and it's, you make it seem so easy, but how does one start a show like from scratch? What was your first steps? Well, we kind of got lucky because we used to be, we used to breed finches and like diamond doves, just small aviary birds. And so we actually were vendors at our local bird fair selling these birds that we would raise. And then the lady got, uh, she kind of got out of the fair business but all the vendors still wanted a place to go to sell their animals. So they kind of introduced us to the idea of, well, why don't you guys yeah. continue these? The bird people are all kind of older 
So like they were all like in their sixties and seventies and then it was us sitting at a table and they came up to us and said, you guys are young and spry. You should start a new bird show. Mm -hmm. So, so we did. And we've been running them ever since yeah. we do four bird fairs a year. And then we do three reptile expos a year and then two, three, four exotic pet expos a year. So 11, so 11 a year. The bird one kind of evolved into the exotic show. And then about two years ago, I think we started the reptile show because as we got more reptiles, we started knowing more reptile breeders and everything like that. So then it was like, well, I mean, do you guys want a show? And they're like, yeah, that'd be awesome. So then we just kind of started one up and smaller location, smaller venue. It's but, growing though. We might yeah. need bigger. That'd be know, sweet. We'll yeah. The toughest part is finding venues. Like I hate finding new venues for shows. I mean, it's a good problem to have because they're growing and I like, we always have to keep our eyes open for new venues, but it's so tough finding a venue that will allow animals. And right. there's just so many criteria it has to meet. So we try yeah. to stay in our places for as long yeah. as possible. Like I big props imagine. to the people like Tinley. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine how Tinley does it, but they have a whole board of people, yeah. right? Brian Potter does. Mm -hmm. So what were you doing? Um, before this and kind of have you completely quit, you know, whatever day job that you had beforehand? I have. Yeah. I've been on my own for about five years now. Uh, I started when we first were um, getting to know each other. I was at PetSmart and I worked there up until just a few years ago. Actually, I was kind of off and on. I'd help out during the holiday season, even if I had a different job going on. But after I graduated from, that was my college job to help pay for tuition. And throughout, or after college, after I graduated, I became a naturalist for the Minnesota DNR. So my job was to connect people to natural resources at the state park that I was stationed at. So I would teach people about a lot of geology. I did a lot of geology. I did a lot with trees, a lot about the history of the park, things like that. But my favorite programs that I did, uh, and this, this is what introduced me to the whole world of programs, my favorite ones were the ones that included wildlife. And then after my two-year job there wrapped up, it was just two summers, and then you have to move on and do something else. I really liked it, and I wanted to continue it somehow, but there weren't any other positions with the DNR open. And that was when we were into reptiles. Yep. Like we were, It was our first couple of years getting into reptiles. And I'm like, you know, maybe I could start a business where we just teach people about reptiles. Yeah, we were at a uh, hands-on event for with our local Herp Society, and it was us and one other friend who all went with like one animal each and we were all showing them off to the kids coming through and i remember we were leaving and her and the, the other guy peter was uh were like super stoked like yeah we should do this all the time it should be that should be our business and we'd like the whole way home that's all they could talk about was different like different ideas what we could do all that kind of stuff and i was sitting there like i already have a job i don't need another job you guys do it i'll fund it <laughs> <laughs> and then uh it kind of got talked about a little bit and then the other guy uh kind of got way into reptiles did a couple uh internships and then kind of i think burned out and he went on to another thing and then emily's always been the type to like stay with things for years and years and years and push through and make sure that it's like her passion is always number one and uh, so she started, she's like, well, maybe I can do that kind of stuff. I'm like, go for it. Get some, you know, go Craigslist, go advertise on these free platforms. And then she got her first one and then she started getting more. It was like the first year she would do like two or three programs a week. And then the rest of the time she was sitting at the computer finding new places to advertise, just doing all that for like the whole first year. And then the second year it was pretty much 
it everybody a little, had a little bit of advertising, but it was mostly programs at that point. And then from there, she really has stopped advertising because it's just there's too many now. <laughs> I feel so bad. I like I'm booked every day through the end of August now. And it's just all word of mouth. So I, I have to like turn people away. Like, I'm so sorry. I'm booked every day. I can't, I, we do it in September, but that's going to be too late for their kid, kiddo's birthday party. But yeah, maybe someday down the road, we'll need another uh, an employee and they can do programs too. Yeah. That'd be cool. But yeah, yeah then it's just- I say, like oh. you ever think of building it out to where you have multiple educators in different places, different times, all that stuff. That would be so much fun. Yeah. We just need a couple sets of reptiles. Yep. Which we have, I have like two sets of reptiles that I'll flip flop between. Uh, quite a few of them will, so they can take one day off while I do a program and then, you know, just switch back and forth. There's a couple animals like our boa constrictor where I just don't have room for another big enclosure, so we just have him and he joins me at all my programs. But I try to switch it up, especially with more sensitive animals like the legless lizards or like the salamanders. Like the salamanders, I'll take one one day and definitely give them a day off and take another the next. Yeah, I could see it once she gets the, once we get the facility up and running and she can kind of train somebody and kind of monitor them and, you know, make sure that, you know, they're doing, they're doing the snake discovery brand right kind of thing, you know, because it's really hard to grow something up and then just trust somebody that they're going to, you know, do it right. So yeah. I can see once that goes through, then we will start getting more people out on, out on the streets educating. So mm -hmm. hopefully anyways. Yeah. Who knows what'll happen? Yeah. <laughs> Get them out on the streets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that uh, an attempt at a 90s reference? No. That, that was, was just being weird. Yeah. That... <laughs> uh, so obviously, like, a big question is, how do you keep collections separate? So, like, having your animals that you use for shows and animals that you breed, and then do you have to keep those separate since, obviously, your animals are always going out and all that good stuff? Um, we actually don't do a whole lot with, I, I kind of just know which racks the, uh, program animals are in. I don't do a ton of separation because when we're outside, I don't like let them go on trees or in the grass. They are strictly like in my hands or nearby, like in a trusted person's hands. <laughs> so, uh, it's just kind of memorizing who is where in our collection. And I actually offer three different types of programs. I, I do a native reptiles program, which the school teachers usually choose. And then I have an exotic reptile program, which is reptiles from around the world, where I show them like a, a map and kids choose what continent they want to see the reptile from next. And I bring something from everywhere. And then I have a more turtle focused program. And that's like native turtles in the area. So it kind of just also depends on what program gets booked. That'll de um, determine which animals I bring. Which one's your most popular for birthdays? Probably the native reptile one, because I bring a couple exotic ones for fun anyway. <laughs> so that has the biggest variety. Yeah. Showstoppers like Doug. Yeah, Doug or Boa comes to that one. Big things. <laughs> mm -hmm. And did you like all of these? Because it's weird, because my mind doesn't work well with like educating children. Like I would never be able to build out like a program like that. Like you, you obviously treat it very seriously. And it's like, how did you first come up with all these programs? You know, it is kind of tough because I have to tweak it for each age group that I'm teaching at that moment. I do a lot of like 
uh, first through fourth graders. And so I've just picked up on techniques to keep their attention. And that's why I bring a decent amount of animals too, is to keep their attention. But I love doing high school programs or adult programs because I get to go so much more in detail with the animals and they have great questions and I can trust them more when it comes to like touching the animals and holding the animals. Those are a lot of fun. But my main clientele is like the younger kiddos. Yeah. But when it comes to coming up with the programs, uh, I, I really just go by those three main programs and then just tweak little things as needed. It's just all based on the information that I like the the depth of the information I share based on the age group. And did you have anyone that, you know, helped you out in the beginning or mentored or did you see other people doing education and stuff like that? You know, when I was a naturalist at the park, I had a there's another full time naturalist there and she taught me how to do how to um, structure programs like intro, the middle part. Or like the 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 meat in the middle and your uh, conclusion and how long they should be, how interactive they should be, and then we one night and I was stationed at Interstate State Park. If anyone hearing knows of that, and I was doing a uh, camper program a Saturday night, but instead of me doing the program, we had actually hired a frog guy to come in and he had his own created program, and he like set out this tarp and had. F- uh, native frogs that he had collected from around his house, native frogs and salamanders everywhere on this tarp and kids were holding them and they were feeding them worms. It was just like a frog palooza everywhere. But he was the one who taught me that you can have live animals out and you can trust kids to hold them and feed them. And he, some kids, some kids, some kids <laughs> depends on the age. Squeeze, squeeze. Yeah. There's certain ages that are more likely to squeeze and those don't get to touch the animals, but uh, he's the one who showed me that you can make a living out of this. So he was kind of the one that inspired it initially, the, that first idea. And then it just became a reality later on. Yeah. Is there a proper balance of hands-off, hands-on type of deal? <laughs> yeah, 90s. Um, <laughs> um, you know, you want to keep it as engaging as possible, as hands-on as you can, but you also don't want to be walking around the entire time not teaching people about the animals. You do have to, it, it's hard to balance who all you're able to reach with the animals because I like to walk around and let kids touch them during the show, but I can't reach every single kid if it's a 200 crowd audience. So it's, it is kind of tough, but you just have to, you have to play a little improv and just figure it out based on your audience if you're going to do more handling during the show or maybe a little bit afterwards before they take off. For sure. And now I want to squeeze this in there because someone, uh, Herb Keeper in the chat, wants us to ask if you would get a green anaconda to do education. I would love an anaconda. Yes, <laughs> I would absolutely love one someday. But for education, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe if we have a young one that we raised up and socialized really well. We uh, went over to a friend's house yesterday and he has a few and he was he uses them in programs. Yep. So and he brings, I think, three guys with him to handle everything. He does. So if it was just myself doing programs, which it usually is, I'd have to limit it to a younger one that was well socialized. But eventually, I, I mean, would need a second handler. If we do get the facility up and running, we'll probably have an enclosure with an anaconda in it. And it might be one of those things where if we have a couple employees and, you know, it's everybody kind of works together, we could like, do you want to explain yourself? I just splash my drink. On my face. Okay, we're good. Anyways. <laughs> you got it on your glasses, too. I did. It's everywhere. But having, like, the having multiple people, we could probably end up doing that. But he even said, like, the anacondas, like, because we've got the retics and we've got the berm. And, you know, they're not full size yet, the retics or the berm. 
but he said anacondas are just so much different. They're just muscle. Like that's all they are. And they like, they'll just like crawl across you and you move with them because they're so, so dense and so heavy. We've so. noticed that with the, just the Ed's reticulated pythons. Like it's like they just don't quite know their own strength. Yeah. So they're at the point now at how long are they, would you say? Uh, the girls, oh, I have to plug the laptop. Oh, Ed's going to plug in the uh, laptop. Go for it. Quick. It gives us the, this warning when it's close to dying. Why didn't we have this plugged in? Anyway, um, so Ed's reticulated pythons are like pushing 12 feet and they are strong. They're such big animals. Like you wouldn't expect an animal that's like, you know, a thinner bodied snake to be as strong as it is. But they're at the point where we do need both of us when we're feeding them or handling them just, just to be on the safe side. I mean, they're well mannered. You're going to need an extension cord. Oh, it's so cool. There's an elder right there. Even if they're well mannered, you take them out and they rearrange the room and they knock things over and do all this. Yeah, stuff. I mean, they'll look up at a shelf and they'll be like, huh, you arranged all of those items so perfectly on the shelf. I'm going to fix that. Yeah. And they will. They'll knock it all down. They're like cats. <laughs> oh, so there was Ed's <laughs> telling me to tell a story. Uh, one of Ed's reticulated pythons, who is named Noodle, because we're big gorillas fans, is probably the, she's the bigger of the two reticulated pythons. And Ed was feeding her one night and her enclosure rests, it's on the bottom tier of the stack of enclosures. And he slid open the door and reached in with the rabbit and she got so excited, she lunged forward, but she completely missed the rabbit and instead latched onto his knee. And he was, you know, squatted down because it's on the floor. She lashed onto his knee and started trying to kind of half constrict his leg. Um, but it was an awkward position, so she couldn't really do it. So I kind of laughed a little bit. And then I yeah. walked around. <laughs> and then all I had to do is, like, touch the back of her head. Because I was going to kind of hold on to the back of her head. And then as soon as I touched her, she immediately let go. So at least she knew yeah. you weren't food. And then she looked around like, wait, where's the food? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's the thing that when people are getting into an animal like a retic, I mean, that is a large animal. And... Unfortunately, if you make it even, you know, the slightest mistake and that's, you know, a 16 foot plus animal, there's oh, yeah. consequences behind that. And then there's our Burmese python who's dumb as rocks. Yeah. Like this, there's a huge difference between berms and retics, at least in our experience. Or maybe we just have a strange Burmese python. Yeah. But our <laughs> berm is like, he doesn't really grip you as much. And he's, he's another rescue. He is a rescue. He, he's all has kind of, kind of a neglectful past. So that could be part of it. But he's these big derpy eyes and he just, I don't know, he's just not quite there it seems, but it makes him really friendly. So he's great <laughs> at programs. He's only about seven and a half feet long too. But yeah, retakes cool you tend to get this, like they're looking around the room, this kind of attentive animal almost. You're like, I don't know, but a berm is yeah. like, it might as well be it's a there. ball python. <laughs> yes. Yeah, retics, you're right. They're so they seem like, intelligent. Yeah. Even though I know they're not. They're intellectually, they're just there. They're present more. And you're right. They'll watch as you walk by. Yeah. Like, hey, last time you came by, you gave me food. <laughs> yeah. Not going to happen again. So what percentage of your collection um, are rescues? Ooh, that's a great question. Mm -hmm. I'd say around maybe 40%. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Think? Yeah, because we do buy uh, a decent number for breeding projects, but there are quite a few rescues too. Most of my program animals are rescues, partly because um, 
it's uh, it's nice to work and give them, you know, kind of a second chance. But also because animals that we buy for breeding programs are, they're a little bit more expensive. So I don't want to risk anything happening if they were out of program. Not that, knock on wood, anything has happened. But I just uh, leave the more expensive animals at home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, we have a lot of rescues. Are you getting most of those through your local Herp, herp Society or a variety of... We we used to, and we still will take in a couple here and there from our local herp society. Like most recently, we adopted this completely normal ball python because I just wanted one in programs. So we found a sweetheart, adopted her. Uh, but I think a lot of our rescues nowadays are just people who don't want their animal and they just reach out to us. Like with our garter snake that has no eyes, that was a connection from PetSmart that I, when I worked there, one of the holiday seasons, someone came up and said he had this garter snake with one eye that uh, got hit by a lawnmower. And I was like, well, if you don't want it anymore, let me know. And a couple of weeks later, he came back in and said, yeah, I don't, I don't want it. Can you get it? So we drove over like the next night or something. Yep. And sure enough, this garter snake that he had for close to a year, uh, one of his eyes was taken out by the lawnmower and the other one was enlarged, like a large globe. And if you looked at it straight, you could see a pupil down deep inside, but it just kept slowly getting bigger. So we had him for like, according to them, it kept growing, which makes sense. Fluid was just building up. Mm -hmm. So we got him, we had him for about two months before we were able to get him in and have his eye uh, removed because there was no chance of that being saved. And now he has no eyes. His name is nearly headless Nick. He does really well. Yeah. <laughs> He's kind of a messed up face and his tongue flicks sideways, which is kind of humorous. Yeah, I like no, like just the one eye missing or the both eyes missing is kind of an understatement because it looks like he almost has half a face. Yeah, yeah, he really does. Yeah, yeah. all the scales are a little bit messed up, but he, he makes it work. Yeah. Reptiles are resilient. I'm assuming that's not one of your show animals. No, everybody like if there's people who like or, or who, who follow the channel who attend our shows since we have them all on our website, they'll be like, did you bring nearly headless Nick? And I'm like, no, he'd probably be so confused if I brought him. So he stays at home. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. I get that. Right. <laughs> so I just bring a different garter and we feed it fish yeah. in front of the kids and they like that. Yeah, that's who's behind us right I'm now. I'm surprised nobody's looking at us like, why aren't you feeding us? Yeah, we're going to feed them after this. Yeah, because you guys had a, a nice litter of garter snakes last year and I believe you're going to have more garter snakes this year. Yeah, so our female had... Uh, nine babies earlier this year, and she's actually double clutching. Surprisingly, we didn't pay her or anything. She's just adding another litter, I guess. Um, I don't. I don't. Is that all we're having this year? Or just the Prius babies? I think that's Priuses because I, uh, the albino checker didn't take this year, yeah, so she's getting too. a year off. Yeah, that's fine. If she wants a year off, there's no harm in that. So yeah, just the I guess two litters from the same mom of garters, but then a lot of bull snakes. We have some rat corns cooking and some hog noses cooking too. If babies do do Saturday, yeah. a couple of our bull snakes are due to hatch on Saturday, so that's exciting. So here's yeah, a question yeah. for you guys: What's your opinion on hybrid snakes? Um, I used to like be pretty militant about not doing it until like I realized that it's all happening anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and I have corn snakes, and quite frankly, they've been bred to emery eye. I mean, which and when they started being bred, they were just subspecies. So and people thought like whatever about subspecies. They're just like they're the same thing. And uh, 
So they've already been crossed well before we ever started working with them. So yeah, I, th- I think all my corns, I would say, are probably not pure, and that's not, like and that. that's not, I don't like saying, and that. that's not into, <laughs> that's not like it's because it's my collection. That's probably everyone's. I mean, mm-hmm. besides the like F ones that I have and stuff like that, mm-hmm. or new projects, they all have, you know, emery blood in them at some point, or you know, maybe the Tesseras from the Newport Kings, you know, Cal Kings. So, uh, very well, all of ours could be hybrids. So I don't do it on purpose, but I don't, I don't discourage those who do. And then across I can also board, realize you... that all of mine are probably but across the board. Do you feel that way? There's some things I'm like, no, you shouldn't. Like I have, Oh, like a Bolin's Python. Like, don't cross. Like, a I think there's, python. I think yeah. we are okay with it to a point. Like, I don't like, like, if there's, corns. if there's, Oh no. Yeah, Clayton has, Clayton has cool ones. stuff. I mean, I love all the stuff Clayton has, but it, it there's just there's just weird people who have a vision for creating cool stuff and they don't care how they get there. They just want to <laughs> make a cool thing. And I can respect that in its own like And when I see Clayton way. post stuff, I'm like, oh my God, that's so beautiful. And then I read what it is. I'm like, oh wait, now I gotta take back my feelings about like, <laughs> really beautiful snake. And it's got milk snake, cat yeah. king, and but I think when you snake. do it right, like you know, he's a trying to achieve something. He's not just like, oh, let me take this and push this with this and see what happens. You know, like I think when you have a purpose and an idea behind it, it's different. And I know you guys, you seem to have the idea that like you want to get out pet quality animals also. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we see that there in our opinion, at least mine, I don't know about yours. Uh, but I think that the biggest issue with hybrids is that breeders aren't transparent about their lineage. And we were, yeah, we kind of stumbled across a hybrid that made a really good pet quality garter snake. And so we're just completely open about what yeah. their lineage is. Well, um, we accidentally had the first clutch. The first one was an accident. And then we're like, holy cow, these are. Yeah. The babies great. came out. They were huge. They ate really well. They were awesome. Like you could hold them straight out of the, Placenta. Yeah, these are garden. And they were like, they were awesome. Like for a younger person who's getting a first snake, they would have made an excellent first snake. And then we sat back this year and we're like, well, what do we want to do? Because I mean, we're not really for hybridization. And we kind of talked about why. And then we're like, well, but if we're completely transparent, we're selling as either singles or same sex pairs. You know, they're not unless somebody goes about selling them later and just says they're a plains garter or they're this garter or whatever, yeah. you know, somebody who's going to breed them. First off, if you're breeding snakes, Craigslist isn't the best place to go and grab snakes from mm-hmm. <laughs> unless it's like pretty and you're just looking for that pretty snake. But then I don't think you're really against hybridization. Right. Um, but yeah, it's just it's, so we kind of just decided this year we'd do the same thing, just mainly for the pet quality. Mm-hmm. Although I think if there were species out there like Womas or Blackheads, those I'm not a fan of hybridizing those. At least to not 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 to have not to a very far extent. Yeah, because there's limited quantities of those. They're not as common as like garter snakes are. True. So we want or those uh, assurance. Even, even like you said that you bred those together and you got a better feeding and a larger animal. So you got a better animal. If, <laughs> if you're breeding, you know, the best looking jungle carpet python to a coastal carpet python and you're just getting mediocre jungle-ish yeah. carpet pythons, I don't yeah. understand the purpose. The, yeah. 
Yeah, it's kind of like with our hognose snakes. What I find interesting is we have, you know, hognose, hognose. I don't, there's no hybrids as far as I'm aware. Anyway. Eastern, uh, Western, Southern. Well, is that, I guess do if you breed people those. People breed those? I don't know. Maybe. I, I don't know. But, uh, Someone any- did, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing <laughs> yeah. somebody out there did it sometime. Probably. But what's interesting is the condomorph babies are picky eaters compared to the normals. Uh, I, I don't know if there's something in the morph at all, but like... Sometimes you come across strange things, strange behaviors, and even purebred animals. Like even with our checkered garter yeah. snakes, uh, the we had they had a runt, but it was turned out to be just fine. But their babies were so much smaller than these little hybrids that we happen to produce. But I don't know. Everyone has their own opinion, and we know there's some people out there who don't like hybrids at all, and we totally respect that. Yeah. I can definitely understand both sides. And we need we need both sides. Therefore, mm-hmm. yes. so, you know, someone can have pure animals, and then yep. if people like crazy, awesome animals, honestly, if you some of the some of the best looking snakes. Every time I see a snake that like catches my eye and blows me away, oftentimes it's because I haven't seen it because it's you know some hybrid. So, yeah, like every time we run across at least one hybrid at Tinley, and it's like that's. Like the Super Bowls? <laughs> like the Super Bowls or the, yeah, pretty much any of them. We see one and we're like, that looks like, and then we go up and we're like, is that a ball python? In a, you know, and they're like, oh yeah, that's what it is. We're like, yeah. Because <laughs> you can see both species in yeah. there, like the ball blood. Carpondos. Yeah. I think, yeah, those are cool. Yeah, I learned that from the, the couple websites I've looked at that people have actually successfully bred hybrids. It's like carpet pythons will breed with anything, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> you just put a male in with any female he'll get the job done <laughs> yeah it does seem that way that's like some person's everyone's first move for whatever reason is putting a, a carpet to it but i mean even in colubrids we have you know across genuses you know we have king snakes to corn snakes which is just like something you would never think would happen well, yeah. The uh, fox snake bull snakes. Yeah. Did you hear they found some hybrids, uh, hybrid fox bulls? How dare them breed them together out in the in, wild. Like in this. the wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They found a couple of clutches uh, down in, I think, the Iowa area. They, it, was, you, it was so cool. If you Google it, you can find pictures of these animals. They were very clearly hybrids between bulls and foxes, which are in completely different genuses, too, yeah. I believe. And... You can see both characteristics. Yeah. So neat. So yeah, I guess it does happen. The range in the wild. just intersected, and one was like, "Hey, you'll do." <laughs> Pretty much. And what is weird about that is that some locale purist out there is now going to want these pure locale hybrid snakes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then it all just is cyclical. But that's so, amazing. So would that be bad? <laughs> If yeah. you took that from the wild, I mean, that's in the wild, so... I don't know. <laughs> it's that's where it gets yeah. <laughs> There's so many controversies out there, and if you, especially if you have a channel, you are made aware of every single one, because that's probably the drawback to doing the channel, is you're judged on every single thing yeah. you do. So you, you kind of do your best to describe why you decided to do certain things, and that's really, that's really all you can do. Yep. And then just and let that's... people have the comments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but... Let's, I guess, we got to address the whole keeping because I'm sure that's one of the biggest things you guys get is that you do have, you know, a good amount of animals in racks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that doesn't seem, thankfully, that doesn't seem to irk anybody or trigger anyone, the amount of animals we have, because uh, we're able to show that we take care of them all and 
Um, yeah. They all have, you know, enrichment and all that fun stuff. Try to make sure they all have bedding so it's not just like a small rack with like a paper towel down and that's it. We try to make sure they have some kind of something they can do if they want. Yeah. Um, and then we try and go by the rule of two sides. So two sides of the enclosure is long enough to let the snake completely stretch out. Um, if not further than that. So, I mean, there's a handful of things we try to do um, to make sure that the snake doesn't look like it's cramped. Um, mm -hmm. Because as soon as you show a snake that looks cramped, everybody's like, oh, racks are the, the worst thing in the world and, and don't ever do racks. And they all got to be uh, vivariums. And, and it's like, it's a whole thing on itself. That's the and tough how part many snakes do you have that you're functionally keeping you know, <laughs> year after year and animals grow? And there's so many moving parts that people don't realize unless you have a certain amount of animals. Yep. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, you get to that point and you need a whole nother rack and stuff like that. And it seems like, though, you guys try to do the most you can in a tub. You know, you're not just putting down paper. Right. Yeah. I. It, it's unfortunate that there are some breeders out there where we've been to a couple of breeder facilities and they have a rack set up and it's literally just a small bin and the snake takes up half of that bin and the other half is a water dish. It's like, man, it's things like this that ruin racks for the rest of the hobby because you can do it correctly and you can give them ample space. You can give them caves and things to do. Um, there's, you know, debate on whether they actually benefit from fake plants or not, but we figure we'll throw them in there just yeah. in case. But yeah, it's it's too bad that opinions get taint, uh, tainted because of a few breeders that... I've watched a bull snake sniff a log for 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'll I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah. And I saw that you guys got those, uh, I believe they're ARS racks yep. for, for the bull snakes. And I mean, those are, I mean, those are essentially cages. Yeah, those things are awesome. Yeah. I really love those racks. And they have like the window on the front, which we had, I think the option of a window or without a window. Yeah, a we? window or no window. Yeah, I'm so glad we did though, because they, they'll like watch us. Yeah. We'll go down there, there's like three heads looking out at us. It's like, hi. Oh, <laughs> just begging for food. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. They definitely utilize it. And they utilize all the space. Mm -hmm. I could see like if it was a ball python on there, in there, probably wouldn't utilize well, as much space. They sit here and never move. They're pet rocks. But like colubrids to move around a bit more. I'm yeah, really glad that we got those. Yeah, and I think that that is something that uh, with colubrids in general, I, I guess it's good that you can go as big as you want and they'll utilize it and they'll still eat and they'll be happy and do everything you want them to. Yeah, they will. Especially like garter snakes. Garters are so much fun to spoil because they're naturally, they bask. So they benefit from having a basking light as, a as opposed to a heat mat from underneath. And because of that basking light, it like, sorry, they're behind me, so I'm like looking up there. Uh, but they come out, they just bask, they kind of charge up, and they are all around their enclosure. They'll use every inch of space, every platform you give them, which makes them very entertaining to watch. Yeah. They're and great. Do you guys keep them communally? Yep, yep, we do. So, uh, the garter snakes, we keep them based on their sex anyway, unless they're being paired up for breeding. We keep the girls together, the boys together. But we have different, yep, different species. And I know with a lot of species of snakes, you know, cohabbing is frowned upon. But with garter snakes, that's like the one exception where they do better. Water snakes, garter snakes. Yeah, water snakes too. They, uh, We've actually seen their temperaments improve after they're being housed together then, rather than being by themselves. They calm down. They're better eaters. Yeah, we had a red-sided garter we picked up who 
you pick her up, she'd want to bite and musk all over you. And it was like, anytime we had to do anything with her, it was like, your, your turn. <laughs> so then we basically moved her from her quarantine at that time to the, to the communal cage. And I think it's just from enough time of her being rubbed up against by other snakes and just being with, now you can take her out and hold her and she's just fine. Mm -hmm. And then the babies too. We saw uh, that with babies. Yeah. So the first time we had baby garters, uh, we housed a couple, like we tried to house them individually. And they just didn't want to eat. They were skittish. They were hiding, didn't want to come up to grab their food. So we're like, well, we keep the parents together. So let's try putting babies together. And we had small groups of like four and they instantly started eating and they became more uh, confident in their enclosures. And they started, you know, coming up towards the front to beg for food. Even it was crazy. The turnaround. So yeah, garters are the one that I would definitely recommend cohabiting. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that brings up the whole, like a whole question about socializing, you know, but be between snakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how do they act with each other? Yeah. Different species, for sure. I think most of them. It seems like the general rule of thumb is everything you keep by itself. Pretty much. Some people will cohab fox snakes. I do know that. Um, like a lot of good breeders will just keep them together year round. But it seems like... And fox snakes are far from corn snakes, so... Yeah, true. They're both rat snakes. Well, I we know a lot of... Uh, if you talk to like old school colubrid guys. I mean, even, you know, Bob Applegate, who's like the father of everything king snake. Mm -hmm. And you think king snake's probably the last thing I want to keep <laughs> together all year round. But he kept all of his together. You know, he wow. kept them in pairs. Oh, wow. Huh. Yeah, that makes you wonder. Yeah, it does. I mean, it doesn't hurt as long as it's not a species that absolutely needs to be with each other. Like it seems like garter snakes really do benefit from. You can play it safe and just keep it by itself. Right. there's a good chance it'll be a better eater and it won't eat another one. But yeah. the important thing is that there's multiple ways to take care of reptiles. That's why. <laughs> no, no, there's, there's one, way, one, one way. way. My way is the best way. So I'm going to say all I need to say on Facebook. Or YouTube. <laughs> or YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's like the most important thing, right? Is to, the the longer you're in it, the more people you meet who you respect who tell you different do things. different things. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Which is confusing, but also enlightening for new people. I think it shows. I think them, you, like, you have to start with a base of. Right. You know. There's like, well, everyone's, even though they do something different, there's, I would think there's a lot of boundaries that we all have. I hope, you know, yeah, no one's keeping them with red lights, 135 degree hotspots. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Right. Wait, what? Some things we can move past. <laughs> <laughs> and that's something with, I think you guys, I mean, you have a lot of experience keeping not just snakes, but you keep all different kinds of exotics. So I guess let's talk about some of the, let's start with turtles say, I mean, what do you have in that department? We have actually all native species since for my turtle program, I have to teach the kiddos about native ones. Honestly, I don't think we'd have turtles if I didn't have programs yeah. to use them for. They're cool, but I don't know. I guess the Can't other really hold them. Yeah, eh, they're, they're kind of fun. But anyway, we have um, uh, a false map turtle. We've got a soft shell turtle named Taco. We have a painted turtle. We have three musk turtles. A stunted um, painted turtle. A stunted curvy shell looks like a sombrero rescued painted turtle and a snapping. Yep. And the snapper gets a big hundred gallon stock tank to herself. She loves that thing. But yeah, we pack them up, bring them to uh, bring them to programs. 
Yeah. They're pretty easy. As long as you have a good filtration unit on them, they're really not that much work. I think people say turtles are a lot of work just because they uh, aren't aware of the filtration that you need. Yeah. It's, it's kind of one of those things where as long as you take care of their needs, they have a basking spot so they can dry off and get that bacteria off of them. Give them filtration so they constantly have clean water. Don't overfeed them so they get fat. Give them UVB. You know, all the stuff that people 10 years ago, maybe still today, don't <laughs> do. And it's like all of a sudden the turtle comes out with a wonky shell or it dies early or whatever. And it's, it's you know, it's like, well, did you do any research or? Yeah. The biggest thing is that initial setup. Yep. And then they're pretty easy. Yeah. And having someone to like tell you those simple things. Yep. I don't think we ever talked about it a couple of weeks ago when we went to the Italian market uh, festival in oh, Philly. No. It was just a, you know, it's like a not, it's just a huge festival down a really long street. Like towards the end of it, there are a bunch of vendors and there's this man. I swear he was. And it's usually like food vendors, like sauce. Right, right. right. It was nine, like cheeses, you know, like random artsy fartsy things. But then you like get to this guy who had just like a, I swear it was like a folding table you eat on with like, five turtles and he's just out there i mean he probably was out there all day long a hundred not it was not that hot it was probably at least 80 plus degrees though but if you're in and a it was just like so sad oh. to wow. see that, that is sad. was he we were, selling them yes yes okay i was also like wait this makes no sense there's like a hot dog truck and, a cheese and <laughs> let's get some painting. cheese and apple and a turtle and the turtle <laughs> like I was like, wait, where's this coming from? Why are you here? Also, this is terrible. Like, <laughs> But they're red-eared sliders, so they probably all lived and all thrived for whoever had them. And then but you know he's telling the them nothing. You know, like those yeah. people who are buying from he's not telling them anything about keeping that. Oh, and it just... Dollars. Yeah. Well, that's, that's one of my something biggest that I think we've hopefully got over, but go ahead, Ed. <laughs> well, it's, it, I see that same thing with sulcata tortoises. Because sulcatas come out pretty cute, about that big. And then everybody gets them and they buy them from people who aren't really telling them anything. They're just sitting there, hey, this tortoise is uh, you know, 50, 50, $75 or whatever. Yeah. So it's pretty cheap. You can put it in a 40 gallon breeder, just give it a salad a day and you know, don't talk yeah. about UVB, don't talk about anything. And then you get a bunch of pyramiding turtle or tortoises that are about that big and mm -hmm. you know, in like terrible shape. Rex's house. Yeah. So I still go to, I'm going to get totally off sidetracked here, but too late. We're yeah. too far. Yeah. So yeah. Um, the person who used to own Rex, our alligator, I still actually go to his house once a week to take care of his other animals. Cause he's, he's an older guy. He has um, some birds and he has, he had two tortoises in a similar sized box as what Rex was in. He had a sulcata tortoise, which he is still, by the way, last week he told me it was a leopard tortoise. It's a sulcata. And he How had long have you known him? Pardon? How long have you known him now? Oh, um, six, seven years yeah. now. Something like that. <laughs> she told him multiple times. Yeah, like it's a sulcata. No, no, no. It's a rare leopard tortoise. I'm like, okay, whatever. But he also had this red foot tortoise. And he got the red foot from South America as an adult back in the 80s. And it sadly prolapsed, passed away about a year ago. But this sulcata he still has. And he got it. From the wild as a hatchling, I'm pretty sure. And he had it in this box, like its entire life, without UVB. And I've never seen worse pyramiding on any other tortoise before. It's just horrible, like the amount of pyramiding it has. And he says, oh yeah, that's just how the leopard tortoise is. I'm like, no, no, it's not. 
But yeah, people just uh, go in uninformed. And that was the same case as for the alligator, for Rex. He just, he liked her, just didn't know. He was never taught how to take care of her. Yeah, never decided. Yeah, just took things from Florida. There's not really uh, someone uh, teaching you. Uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> do that. He didn't buy the book. You know? <laughs> do they do um, turtle races where you guys live? Uh, I've seen it. I think we're growing up. I've seen that. Uh, like a fair or, you know, like carnival type thing. I feel like I've okay. seen that. Cause that's, that's unfortunately still something that happens over in Minnesota. There's a town, uh, in Northern Minnesota that they're known for loving turtles. And so they race them every year and they encourage people to go out and catch native turtles and they keep them throughout the entire summer. And once a week, they put them all in this, like there's, there's this, uh, an open area on the sidewalk that's marked with chalk rings. It kind of looks like the target sign and there's chalk rings and there's like a finish line. Maybe there's only one. Is there only one outer ring? I, I don't no know. Idea. The outermost ring is the finish line. And then they have a funnel in the middle and they put all these turtles in the funnel with their shells marked with the number or whatever. And they just scatter. They scatter below. And then as they fall, they're tumbling down and they race them. Whoever, whichever turtle makes it to the outer ring first wins. But I talked to the person who was in charge of kind of, if you can't find your own turtle, they'll let you borrow one of theirs. And there's an official who takes care of all these turtles in a pen in her backyard throughout the entire summer. And she was like, yeah, we have this dog kennel and like a little kitty pool, but they never really want to eat the pellets that I feed them. And it's because they're all- They're wild? They're wild, they're <laughs> overcrowded, multiple species all put together, all these natives. Don't you know somebody just comes out and feeds them pellets in the wild? <laughs> their job yeah there's yeah. a pellet fairy you know they're all turtles that's what they all eat. <laughs> they don't eat fish <laughs> or crustaceans but yeah she said most of them die unfortunately so we're trying to i do programs up in that area once a year and i'm trying to like tell people that the turtle races you guys do are not that good they stopped hiring me yeah and then all the, <laughs> all the ones that uh, actually make it through the make it through the summer all get released into the same pond Mm -hmm. So not the ponds they were all collected from, but that one pond. They're all so. displaced. It's just wow. too bad that that's still a thing. Like you'd think that, like you said. Yeah, but why is up? Rattlesnake Roundup still a thing too? That's true. So, hey, we just well, had to talk about that. <laughs> I just went to one here in Pennsylvania. And it's actually really cool because they just take one male and it has to be a male over 42 inches. Okay. And you need to like actually tube it and count the subcaudal scales. So it needs to be a definite male. And 42 inches is pretty large for, for yep. a timber rattlesnake. And, I mean, we saw that they maybe got like a dozen snakes, I'm sure, or so. And then after the roundup's done, you need to release it to the same exact place that you got it. So, what do you do with it when you have it, out of curiosity? So they basically just... There's a weird backpack thing. There's a contraption which I'm still that these backwoods He's, he's described, it, described it to me. I still don't get it. I need to see a picture. But It's, it's a weird. vegetable oil canister of some sort. It's okay. like pretty big, and it's made out of the backpack, and it has a tube that goes in there. You know, the tube, the rattlesnake, and everything. Yep. And uh, they just basically put it in the backpack. But, I mean, luckily, everyone's, I don't know. I would think in the sun that would get really hot, but everyone seemed fine. But... They take it into like the pit. They weigh it, measure it. They have a student from a local university come and swab it for fungal disease and everything. Okay. 
And then, so they're kind of getting a survey of the local population, making sure that there's nothing weird going on, and then they release it back. So it's not like completely, you know, like the Texas ones. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you have to get a permit. Like you're you still ha- messing you with. You have yeah. to get a permit before. You have to return it to the exact same place. Like <laughs> no one's messing with it. You know, like I think it's the best way you can do. Yeah. It's the best I could place. ask for. You know, like in a event like that but yeah we also went to sweetwater and uh that, different sentiments for that one yeah i know they, there's uh i can't remember who it was who we were talking to but the the ones who are fighting the rattlesnake rattlesnake roundups mm-hmm. in texas by doing basically similar things where they're educating the public about the rattlesnakes and showing different things about you know yeah. keeping them alive instead of going right. around killing them right why you shouldn't kill them yeah, That's yeah what we need. and unfortunately like the um, I guess it'd be Texas Parks and Wildlife. They are basically in the pocket of the, the rattlesnake roundup, the the JCs who put on the rattlesnake roundup. So they couldn't care any less about you know stopping it. Unfortunately, yeah, it's, it's a shame. It is. Are but, there yeah. rattlesnakes up near y'all? Yeah, I mean so not. Sorry, I meant rattlesnake roundup. Sorry, up near y'all. Oh no. no. No, they're an endangered species yeah, in Minnesota. They're super protected. Very here. protected, yes. Now, we only have one species, just the timber up here, or the cane brake. They call them down south, I guess. But yeah, ah. you, you definitely have to travel down south a ways in order yeah. to find them. Yeah, travel down south, then you have to take a hike about a mile up a cliff. And then you got to like kind of hang off this cliff as you're looking at them. I can't take pictures of you holding them or anything, or else that'll, you know, the DNR is going to show up to your door going, why are yeah. you touching these snakes? Yeah, so. it's called, we're considered harassment. Yep. So. You can look, but you can't touch. Yep. They're such cool animals, though. Wow. Love timbers. Yeah, that was like the one. You know, I've seen a bunch of native animals in the wild. And that was one where I was just like, I don't know. It was different. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds weird. but Well, the one we found last year is this gravid female. And she like, and once she was done rattling her tail, she totally calmed down. She's like as chill as any of our other snakes. Not that we would hold her like any of our other snakes, but probably could have. Yeah. <laughs> once she once she calmed down. That was a fun Yeah, day. to be honest, I was surprised how many people had hands on the animals because everyone had to tube their animals at this roundup. Okay. And the fact that no one gets bit and there hasn't been incidents, it's just it's a testament to like how good the timber rattlesnake is for sure. Yeah, really. Try doing that to like a water know, moccasin or a, yeah, yeah, water <laughs> moccasin would not be the same. Story. No. And imagine if we videotaped everyone trying to tube a rattlesnake and posted it up for everyone to see. <laughs> really? <laughs> what would the comment section be? <laughs> you just have to ignore the comment yep. section. That's the important thing. <laughs> Pay attention to the comics for comments for the first day and then stop watching because that's when it gets bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like after your, I guess. Your true, your true blue subscribers catch you in the first day or so. Yep, yep. exactly. I think to date, our most disliked video is the goldfish yeah. catching video. So there's a video, uh, there's a lake actually near us where someone years ago must have released some goldfish and now they have taken over this lake. And we called the DNR to see, can we, can we catch these things? Like, is that, is that legal? They're invasive. And they're like, yeah, sure. That's fine. As long as you put them on ice before you leave, you can take them out. We don't care. 
So we wanted to make sure it was okay first before because we were going to film it. We're not going to put something up on YouTube. Yeah. That's illegal. <laughs> hey guys, look at us do this illegal thing. <laughs> right. So we got it all okayed, got the green light. We went out and we uh, caught with our hands in the shallows of this um, lake, I think like 40 goldfish. Yeah. And they're wow. no joke, not like eight to 10 inches long. And we put them on ice in a cooler and brought them home once they were dead. And we tried to like thaw them and feed them to Rex and she didn't like them for whatever reason. Yeah. But goldfish must taste funny. They must. I don't know. But the comment section was insane. People were so angry that we put them on ice instead of euthanizing them in a different way or uh, just not taking them at all, leaving them in the wild because it wasn't yeah. their fault that they were there. It's like, man, it doesn't take much to trigger people. Yeah. No, but it's tricky. I mean, it is. with with any of that stuff, no matter what, where morality comes into question, like some people are pro-animal no matter what, and I can mm -hmm. understand yeah. that. Yeah. But I I like the natural world as it is. Hierarchies. And of course I wouldn't want a goldfish in a pond. And that's probably the same idea that you had. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And like, yeah, we, we would have preferred to use something like clove oil to euthanize them, but... We were told to put them on ice, so we're going to well, put we them on ice. Well, we were also planning on bringing them home and feeding them to the reptiles. Yeah. So, you know, you don't really want to put clove oil on something that you're going to be feeding. So, you know, there's that. But mm -hmm. uh, not to mention, I would have no idea how to uh, nope. dispatch a goldfish, per se. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah, not something everyone does all the time. Like, I've gone uh, back in college. I went electrofishing, which was cool, the cheater way to fishing. But we, like, anesthetized them with club soda. And you can, what? like, mix club soda with water. And a fish will kind of, you know, become a little woozy. And then you can take measurements. You can do a, a fin clipping so that you mark it and see if you can recatch it the next day. And uh, you just, like, put them in regular water afterwards. And they just perk back up. And they're totally fine. So, yeah, weird experiences uh, in college. What is in that close? That's weird. I don't yeah. like that. It's club soda. There's all sorts of weird tricks out there, yeah. I guess. What was... Dang it. You got it. But mine was random, so is yours on Be track? Be random now. Okay. <laughs> We're at that um, point of the show. It's from like an hour ago. Uh, are there like facilities you have in mind that like you really like that you kind of want to model yours after or have you guys like are there facilities that you want to go to that you haven't gotten to we would love to go to reptile gardens in south yeah. dakota i would love to check i haven't been there since i was a kid so i don't remember what it was like same here yeah like what we're what we'd like to do uh for our facility is kind of a mixture of different things that we've seen we just want to put them all together don't you on the wire cheyenne <laughs> Uh, like, cause you know, we see tricks that reptile store retail stores will use that we really like visually and, uh, we'll see displays that we really like, and we just want to kind of put them together. There is one facility that it's unfortunately the one that sells alligators near us that does have something very similar to what we would like, but we just want to make a different, a better approach or take a better approach to it, but it'll definitely be different. Yeah. I don't, I I mean, there's a few in like Florida that we've heard of um, that would have that when we were down there, we were going to hit up, but we just didn't really have time. Um, we always like going to zoos and things like that and seeing what their reptile reptile habitats look like and stuff. Mm -hmm. But uh, nothing that we can really think of that's similar. Yeah, it's kind of just a mishmash of different places we've been kind of all together. 
it's kind of fun going to different places and looking at their display, like whether it be a reptile store or uh, like a zoo, like the reptile portion of a zoo and just looking at it and thinking, huh, that really works well or that doesn't really look good. So over the years, we've been kind of putting together what we think are the best ideas people have used. Yeah. And uh, we kind of had a little help with a, a couple retail stores with reptile displays. So Petco. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. yeah. So, the, well, the PetSmart I used to work at got a brand new reptile display. So they gave us the old one. And these things are like $20,000. So we're like, sure. Yeah, we can do yeah, that. Check that. Yeah, we'll just we just have to take all the signage off because, you know, that's corporate owned. And so we have that in a shed next to our house. And that'll go in the facility. And then Petco near us got a new facility or a new reptile habitat as well. And we know the guy who was installing the new one. He was like, do you want it? And we're like yes we'll sure. take that too sure <laughs> so we have a couple of displays uh for the retail com uh, portion of this facility already figured out but we're going to be hand making all of the large enclosures for the back wow. yep and you're only allowed to put fancy ball pythons in there you know that right <laughs> right that's smart law yep. yes yeah. <laughs> that, corn that, was, that was the thing we signed <laughs> sorry there's the train that just went by and scared me um <laughs> But yeah, we, we had to sign that when we picked up the enclosures. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry, I like Petco and PetSmart. I shouldn't be smart ass. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. The employees make it or break it. Yeah, pretty much. You can, you can go into certain ones we've been into and it's like, this is a, not a really good store. And then you're looking around at the people and you're like, you ask them a question about a snake and they're like, I don't know. You, you know, you take care of like four of them, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't care. I would They're never even ask. Work, like, I feel like there's no way I'd be happy with their response. <laughs> <laughs> but I have been to some where it's like, hey, what uh, what do you guys do with this? Or what do you guys do with that? And it's like a reptile expert that you're talking with. And it's like, wow, you are not paid enough at this job. You need to find something else. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it comes down. I mean, how much do you expect from usually like a 16 to 18 year old kid? Yes. I mean, realistically, when I was 16 and 18, I was not equipped to do that job. So, <laughs> so respect to all those that are able to, and the fact that, you know, they're getting people into the hobby, whether we like it or not, that's getting eyes on these animals mm -hmm. and then piquing people's interest. And people are like, why are, why is a fancy corn snake $70 at PetSmart and yours, you know, for normal would be like $35 or something. But they're not even as bad as the local ones. The local ones, I mean, I guess because they don't have the as much income coming in, the local pet shops will charge 90 for, you know, mm -hmm. an AML or a normal mm -hmm. but business. But I mean, yeah. I still have, despite all my like qualms with Pekka or whatever, I'm still determined. Like I want to have that story like, oh, I, walk in, I walked in and found this random cool amazing thing Ooh, so just, you were i I'm, mean emily was probably there like before morphs were that readily available in yeah, I used or to, did you start to get them in oh yeah the, the the coolest thing we got was a pastel ball python one day oh my gosh was that the talk that of the entire ball. store oh when a piebald <laughs> came in that was i think after i left like nobody could believe what a piebald looked like yeah. oh my goodness uh but yeah, I remember back in the day, I would order all the animals they got in. And PetSmart, you used to be able to order cool animals. Like I ordered yellow spotted walking toads and I got, uh, what else? Oh, I ordered, uh, they had Euromastics at some point. They had collared lizards. They had, they had just really cool stuff that I was able to order and get in. And they were kept bred for the most part, which was surprising. I mean, not everything was, but nowadays it's all on auto replenish with uh, PetSmart. 
so you can't order anything. But pet co's are run a little bit differently. For them, it's auto replenish for certain SKUs, uh, SKUs just like PetSmart. But if you have a lot of good reptile sales and you can prove that you're a good store when it comes to reptiles, then you get the ability to uh, order your own reptiles from what I understand. I mean, I've never worked at Petco, but that's just what I've been told. So Petco's are the one to go to that you might you might find something weird. Yeah. So when you, that actually will help us out a lot. I know well, <laughs> that actually narrows it down. Stop me from going in every single pet smart that I and see. And it's honestly more her than me for no, some reason. All, because like... I'm just a I'm jealous. No, it's because my I'm jealous of all the people who find cool stuff. Especially want... corn snakes. Like you will find actually really, really legit animals. Random like, things with crazy right. mutations in them. And mm-hmm. I just want to be like those people. But yeah. um shoot, what was I gonna say? Oh, so when you worked there, did you kind of have free reign of like who you got to buy from where they're only certain. I mean, obviously, you know, you had yeah. restrictions, but. So back then, uh, PetSmart just ordered from a single reptile distributor or distributor. And I'm, they still do, but I, I think nowadays it's reptiles, reptiles by Mac that they get their reptiles from. I could be wrong, but last I heard that's where they got them from. But yeah, they just have one location that they order from. But I wow. think, I don't know, maybe they were tied into like an importer or something back then. And that's why I was able to order weird things back in the day. But Petco was more local breeders, at least with birds. Mm. I don't know what they really got all their reptiles from. but And that may have changed since when I was in the retail world. But Petco was able to go to local breeders and buy, buy cool. from them. Yeah, I always thought that was really neat. Especially with birds, they did. Yeah. Again, I'm not sure with reptiles. But yeah, but if I- you're driving around, you can just skip PetSmart because they're all the same they're all excuse. The same they might, although they do have corn snakes and they're fancy corn snakes. Fancy just means it's a morph. You could have some weird morph that shows up in there. You never know. So you're saying we got to go to everyone. So, right. We got to go to You do. <laughs> Except it's hard. Like 90% of the time, I feel like there's maybe one corn snake. Or I'm looking around like, where? Also, like, where is it? It's yeah. under the carpet, the reptile carpet. It's hard yes. To find. Right, and I'm never ballsy enough to be like, can you come move this so I can see it? I'm probably not going to buy it, (laughs) but I just want to see it. But I'm sure like working at a place like that gives you some perspective, at least, of the mindset. Because we forget, or like people, just reptile people in general, you forget like the general public's, you know, how they receive stuff or how they think about the animals and the keeping and everything like that. Right. Yeah, I think that everyone should work in a retail environment for at least six months in their life so they can kind of understand how it's run when it comes to inventory and customer service, all that Mainly fun stuff. Mainly customer service. Yeah, there's all sorts of stories I would go home with, though, after working at PetSmart. That's how we got our Eastern hog nose. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I had a customer show up, and he's like, or he called over the phone. He's like, I have a snake. I found it outside. I can't get it to eat. I'm like, okay, well, what kind of snake is it? He goes, well, I don't know. It has. He kind of explained it, and I'm like, is it is it a hognose? And I tried to troubleshoot a little bit. We figured out that it was an eastern hognose that he had taken from the wild three months prior. Now it was winter, so it's too late to release. And he couldn't get it to eat, which makes Shockingly, sense. it wouldn't eat pinkies. Yeah, yeah. Strange which thing. For those Just of like you who don't know. Every other eastern, eastern hognose of all time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, like, would only eat toads. But So I, I, I told him I could take it in. And we had, like, a king snake at the time yeah. that was a rescue and... He had a great setup, but it was just an eastern hog. So we traded. I gave him this really good eating king snake, and I took this eastern hog. And after about two years, we finally got him to eat unscented, frozen, thawed rodents. So that's where we got our eastern from. Yep. And sparkles. Then we got the, yeah, sparkles. Last time I let a kid name a snake. 
And then, <laughs> yeah, so there's, there's all sorts of stories. The best How is the one. transition getting them onto pinks? Uh, we first had to give him toads. Like uh, we would take toads and we'd euthanize them and he'd take frozen thawed toads. And then once he was eating a toad, we would conveyor belt sneak in a pinky afterwards. And then he'd just eat the whole thing because he just, you know, they just keep eating. And then we switched him from that to toad scented because he was already kind of used to eating pinkies. And then after that, uh, just over time, we just scented with less and less toad. And he just started taking unscented on his own. But it took about two years. Yeah. Yeah, which sucked. That was fun. Mm-hmm. But he's on it now. So. Yeah, no. Managers or whatever weren't uh, didn't care about you making trades with people calling in the store, and you're like, oh, I'm gonna take this one. Nah, I just didn't tell them about it. I was like, yeah, yeah, we'll just do this trade on the side. He just brought it in in a box, and I've gotten salamanders that way. Like, can you take these? I'm like, yeah, just don't tell anyone. Just bring it on in. Well, a lot of times the people would call in. They'd be like, Emily, we got another reptile question. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it turned out that someone wanted to get rid of their snake. I'm like, sure. It's me in the back alley. Yes, yes. <laughs> in the store. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, the yeah. best pet smart stories were when people would like come in with this baby snapping turtle, like a hatchling, and they'd be like, yeah, I saved it from the road. How do I take care of it? And they don't want to spend any money taking care of or getting a proper setup. Like, really? You didn't save it. No. no. Saving it would have been leaving it there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. And that's kind of the mindset that a lot of people have that like, oh, I'm giving it a new home. Like what I'm doing is better than it being outside. And it's like, oh, wait, do you realize the outside is its home? Yeah. Yeah. It's tough to get that across to people. I'm going to take this Freddyard slider and put it in a container with no light and it'll be better than when it was outside. Or the reverse. You buy a Freddyard slider and you raise it up and oh, it deserves oh, to be in too. the wild. Let's let it go. A.K. you just lost interest for the animal. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) This thing's been here for 10 years and hasn't died yet. What in the world? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I think we kind of forget sometimes how little, like how small of a part, you know, a pet like a snake or a lizard or something that just essentially sits on the shelf. We forget that like people are very passive with it. When we have our houses full with reptiles everywhere and it's our life, yeah mm-hmm. you know like it's such a different different attitude and i can't expect everyone to to share that same you know passion or attitude about it mm-hmm. speaking <laughs> of filling your house did you guys buy this house in mind that it would slowly fill with reptiles nope <laughs> <laughs> we had one snake at the time and then we had the house for four months, and then we had an alligator. Yeah. Yeah, a lot happened you right away. You're subconscious. You're like, we need a decent-sized house. Too much room here. <laughs> we should have never went to the Herb Society. Yeah, <laughs> that ruined us. Like, our first meeting, we got the the uh, bull snake. The second meeting, we got the iguana. The third month, well, this is we got Rex. And then it's like every other month, we were like, well, we can foster that, or we can do this, or we can do that. And the next thing you know, it's like, well, there's a cage, there's a cage, there's a whole room upstairs, there's yep. a room downstairs. <laughs> the best was bathroom gator. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was fun. So we had two alligators for a little while. The Herp Society knew that we had Rex, and they're like, can you foster this alligator? Nobody wanted it at this meeting, and you guys already have one. And we're like, sure, yeah, we can foster okay. it. No big deal. Yeah, maybe, maybe, because they're kind of social. It'll get along with Rex. 
and we put them together and they did not get along. So. Well, he got along with Rex. Rex wanted to eat him. Yeah, because so. Rex was never socialized with yeah. other alligators. So Rex she, doesn't play well with others. Yeah, she doesn't know how to act. So we're like, where are we going to put this thing? We have it for a month, like till the next month's meeting. So we're like, well, we can put it in the bathroom. That'll work. <laughs> so we have this, you know, our, our guest bathroom. There's this bathtub next to the toilet, whatever. And there's we had the curtains drawn and we just had it in the bathtub for a month because gators are fine like that. If it's temporary, they're OK. We would just drain the water, clean it out every day, had lights on top of it. And then Ed's parents came over <laughs> and the curtain was drawn across this bathtub. And Ed's dad went upstairs to use the restroom. And as he's as he's going to the bathroom, he hears this hissing noise from behind the curtain. And he freezes and he peers behind the curtain and there's this alligator staring at him hissing. <laughs> and I don't know if he actually finished going to I the restroom. I don't think he did. I think he just zipped up and went. <laughs> I think so. But like, really? Should, isn't that surprising that we have an alligator in the bathtub? It shouldn't be at this point. <laughs> so it just like stayed there the whole, like it never tried to do anything else no, no he liked it he loved the tub but we did switch him out with rex so that he yep. could enjoy rex's room like every few days or like every couple of days we'd switch him yeah so like for a month he had those conditions but he still had everything he wanted and i remember we used to take him outside too to get him some fresh uvb just did in we? case yeah okay yeah we took him outside a handful of times to nice. on warm sunny days so he could warm up mm -hmm. so yeah. so you had to be very specific anytime anyone came over like there's rooms to go in and not to go in. I think that goes for all of us, though, No, so we go in all of our rooms. But, I mean, we don't you have any animals have out. <laughs> all of our animals are behind things. Behind. Yeah, when we have parties, we just tell people, like, well, if you get bit, it's your own fault. Yeah. I mean, everything we things we have are very friendly. Like, I will say we lucked out. A lot of our animals are so well socialized because there are a lot of rescues and people handle them beforehand. But if you're going to reach into the alligator pen, then Rex might think that you're presenting her with food. Hands look like food. Mm -hmm. She gets very excited over food. Or if you're going to reach into a snapping turtle bin, she might think that's food too. So we only have, we have adult only parties at our yeah. house. <laughs> nice. And then obviously you have a bird on your shoulder. Yes, she uh, was. She was making noise in the background. Yeah, so. I picked her up to keep her quiet. She was hanging upside down, flapping her wings to try to get her attention. And it worked. Yeah, now you're with us. So this is Cheyenne. Do you bring uh, them to your educational uh, programs as well? Oh, birds? Nope. And she stays at home. She doesn't know what kids are or what to think of kids. So she just she just stays at home. Plus, with her um, having a plucked chest due to um, her, her past, a lot of people are quick to assume that she's being currently abused because she plucks her feathers, which is really just a bad habit she picked up from her old home, like biting your nails. So I just leave her at home and she probably prefers it that way anyway. She's our baby though. She'll always be on her shoulder or on the sink or somewhere nearby. Go to dad. No, she doesn't like me. No, she doesn't want to go onto you. Yeah. Yeah. She prefers women, yeah. except for dad. She's fine with you. <laughs> What's it like, I mean, having a, a bird. bird like that? That's so <laughs> Birds are so foreign like, to us. Yeah. Birds are so much more work than reptiles. Like at one point I had two macaws and an African gray and they're, they just demand a lot of time. They're like constant toddlers and they're, they're about as smart as toddlers too. So you just have to spend a lot of time with them and giving them attention. They are loud. You just have to accept the fact and they have fast metabolisms. Chipped poop. Okay. How do you know? 
She makes a certain noise when she has to go to the bathroom. So we've just kind of learned how to communicate with her a little bit. Not that we Wait, squawk so Is that just like she naturally makes this noise? Yeah, it's just a just a macaw thing. She makes a certain noise and we're like, oh, she has to go to the bathroom and she's kind of potty trained. Good girl. Yeah, Wait, she where's she going on right now? I can still see her. Oh, there's like a, a manzanita tree over there. And uh, that's where she chills when she's down with us. So this is like our family room area and she gets her own stand so she can be with us too. Come back. But where did she poop? Oh, there's a newspaper underneath the the brain. Oh. I was like, wait, I see a stand. It's not that big like... of an issue. <laughs> yep, she just pooped on the newspaper, and then you just change that out, like at the bottom of her cage. But everyone thinks that she talks, which she can say hi and hello, but she never talks on command. And macaws aren't known for the talking ability, so she just knows a couple words. We used to have an African gray, and he said over like 50 phrases. He could yeah. count to 10. They're just too smart for their own good sometimes. And it's like but, they're very long-lived animals as well, right? Yeah, she's 18 now, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's 18. They live 70, 75, so we'll have her a long time. But she was the ring bearer at our wedding because, like, when we first got married, she we were all about the birds. Yep. So our colors matched her feathers, uh, and she had, like, a little pillow on her back. Uh, but, yeah, you participated, uh, didn't you? We did look out with this bird, though, because usually macaws are very loud, and they have a loud scream to them, just a loud call. But she's actually really quiet. She's the quietest bird I've ever had. I was about to say that. Like, I barely heard her this whole time. And always, whenever we had someone on the podcast, like, with the bird, after it's over, I'm like, fuck. <laughs> like, oh, it was... seems like most of the time they're, like, yelling for your attention if you're not. Right, right. But yours mm -hmm. is... I mean, even when you said she started flapping her wings and things and making noise, I didn't even hear her. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's nice. She does quiet things to try to grab our attention because she's learned that if she's loud, we don't give her the attention. So she's found alternate ways which are more appropriate. Yeah. So she flaps her wings. Or like she'll, yeah. Yeah. Just yeah, like a toddler. All positive reinforcement. Uh, she'll like hang by a claw from her perch trying to get our attention. <laughs> oh, sorry. I poked her face. I'm sorry. Um. <laughs> While I was petting her head. She's learned how to sneeze, like pretend sneeze like a human when she wants attention. So she's she's good at that. She's not going to do it now. No, she wants, she's yeah. like, I don't know where I am. Yeah. You're never sitting here. <laughs> but yeah, she's actually up in uh, our main snake room is where her big cage is. So she kind of has one side and then we have three racks on the other side. And she doesn't mind. She actually likes it when we're up there feeding snakes or cleaning. Is we're where her home is instead of her being wherever we are. And she doesn't have, like, any reaction to the snakes at all? No. I mean, I've, I haven't really gotten them really close to her, but she doesn't freak out when I have them out. She's, oh, that's right. She does try to help me feed baby garter snakes. <laughs> so I'll, like, take out a bin with some baby garters in it and just set it on the floor. Because garters, they're spazzes. They may take off and slither, and then they're already on the floor. They don't fall. So I'm sitting on the floor with, like, one group of garters trying to hand feed them all pieces of fish or worms or whatever. And she'll immediately crawl off of her cage and come over and she just wants to look at them all. And I'm sure if I let her, she'd try to taste one, yeah. or pick one up. Try to see what one is. Yeah. And she loves dubia roaches. Like whenever <laughs> I have to reach into the dubia roach bin, she's obsessed. She, she runs over and starts chewing on all the cardboard that the roaches are on or she'll pick up a roach and like drop it outside of the bin. <laughs> But you are not helping. Yeah. She thinks she is. She does. She's grabbing one for yes. you. <laughs> well, that's life with the parrot. <laughs> yeah, that's like, uh, as snake keepers, 
we are very spoiled in a lot of ways. Things are very, very simple. We can be around them when we want to and not be around them. Yes. yes, that is that's one of the main reasons why I switched from reptiles to birds was because of how much easier snakes are to take care of. But it yeah. always like blows me away how much I don't know respect I have for people who dedicate themselves to to birds. Birds. <laughs> Bird people are kind of crazy though. Yeah, I think it, it gets to them, makes them a little bit insane. Yeah, because you know we run these bird shows and there's a lot of weird people crazy who own bird birds. People. Yeah, crazy bird people. Oh man. Yeah, but. not like the snake people who are totally normal. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Like with all the vendors we deal with, I'd say snake people are the most normal. Yeah. Like the well, easiest to work with. Or is it just that that's what we're used to? Well, there's not as much drama, <laughs> I don't true. think. There's more drama with sugar glider breeders and bird breeders yeah. than anything else. Well, those are illegal in Pennsylvania. So. Are they really? It's the huh. only thing. I don't know why. Everything else honest. is fair game. Huh. Well, you can true. have venomous, any type of venomous. You can have alligators, no. <laughs> just people yes, have you can have alligators. alligators, crocodiles, all that. All that fun stuff, but no sugar gliders. Well, I know back in the day there was a veterinarian that produced a paper that said sugar gliders had venomous sacks that they or could glands. or glands. Um, which was completely false. So that's why sugar glider sugar one of the reasons sugar gliders get such a bad rap. Plus their poop has some disease in it. I think or, every animal yeah, gets sick. Exactly, but poop. why are you going to eat their poop? So yeah. <laughs> let's steer away from eating anyone's. Yeah, and at programs, I'll sometimes have parents who are really concerned, and they'll be like, "My, I, I don't want my kid to touch a snake because they're going to get salmonella." And I'm like, "No, as long as they're not playing with the snake's poop and then touching their mouth, then you're you're fine." Yeah. So you just have to explain it to them. <laughs> just sanitize your hands with the poop on it, then it'll be fine. Yeah, there's just a lot of misconceptions out there, though. <laughs> So are you guys hoping to add more reptile shows in the future or trying to just stick with the ones you have? I think we're pretty much at our max capacity of the shows we can handle. We do take summers off from shows. Uh, like our next one isn't until August. And that's just because I have so many programs during the summer that I wouldn't be able to juggle shows or um, expos on top of it. Right. But I think, yeah, I think we have a happy amount without it being oversaturating the market. Um, but yet enough opportunities for people to shop at. There is another show near us that does shows during the summer. So they just take care of the summer season and we do the rest of the year. So yeah. it works out pretty well. And it also we... depends on if they keep growing. If they grow, we yeah. might lessen the bird shows and move, like remove one bird show at a reptile show. But mm -hmm. reptile shows are more fun. Yeah, they are. I get to walk around and look at stuff that I might actually want to buy. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's, it's it's an interesting balance between uh, like local shows. Well, puberty that was voice a bad crap. One. So, like we could see that sometimes like markets are hammered way too much, right. like with a show every single month, and it just kind of gets stale after a little while. There's a show near us. It's in Illinois, I think. Scott Smith. Yep, Scott Smith. They do a show every other weekend, and wow. somehow they have big turnouts every time. I don't know. They do how. like any type of animal, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, there's puppies. They have like elephant rides there, which like really, but, yeah. And what I, kind I think of is this. I think it's been the people have been saying that it's turned into just kind of like a a feeder <laughs> show. So people every other week just go and get all their crickets and all their mice and everything fresh from the show, and then the next week it's going to be there again. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's wild. That's a lot. It's just hard to keep vendors happy that way. Yes. Yes. You're doing crickets or mice. 
Yes. Yep. And that's our that's our main goal with our shows is we want the vendors to be happy because if they are, then they'll come back and they bring in the customers too. But in order to make them happy, we have to do advertising to bring in shoppers. Yep. So it's all just one big circle. And we can't have every vendor be ball python and uh Corn snake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, we don't have any corn snake breeders in this area. So what? we are. You, got, you guys want to make the drive? That's you can be a vendor. Long drive. They're, they're, they're good <laughs> table fees. That's all I can yeah, say. Yeah, $30 a table is cheap. <laughs> but yeah, we. Crazy, there's none? Nope. No. We have one person that comes from Kansas. Yeah. Everyone's. Oh, I think I actually know this. Uh, what's their names? Kenny and Mary, Kenny and, and Mary, snakes and lizards. Just kidding, I don't. Okay. <laughs> I thought there was only one corn snake breeder in Kansas ever, but we gotta change that. There has to be someone in Minnesota or Wisconsin that know. breeds corns. That's well, it just there's like I think corns just nobody's interested. I think it's gonna be like they got really big and then everybody bred them, and then ball pythons came to the scene, and everybody switched to ball pythons and. You know, I could see people going back to it, just like many other colubrids. Yeah, um, colubrids are really taking off. Take off, so. Mm-hmm. So a couple of weeks ago, or is it months ago now? I don't know. We had Sean Gray on, and he also puts on shows, and he talked about one of his things, and we also wanted to ask, like, turning down non-animal uh, vendors who want to come to shows. Oh, Do yeah. You have that issue, too? Yeah, makeup people or... Sensi people. Sensi and candles and yeah, it jewelry. Just, we just put our foot down and say, I'm sorry, it has to be animal or reptile related in order to, to sell. Yep. So I've, we've kind of gotten used to it at this point. Like, I'm sorry, no, we, we can't do it. The tough part is kicking out vendors who have already vended your shows and they just, we have like a three strike policy. And once they hit that, it's, oh, it's a tough conversation to, to fire a vendor. Yeah. But you have to do it sometimes. That is... Uh... That is a tough thing, yeah. especially when it's like, because we always like, you know, if we get complaints about people or we see that there's something wrong with the animals, especially with small mammals, we see it mostly mm-hmm. um, where it's just fleas are a big one or it's just like, because a lot of things around here are are swaps. So they're like somebody rented out a barn, you pull your car up, open up the trunk, and then you got rabbits or guinea pigs or something. And it's, it's more of a swap. They don't have to pay or they pay a small fee or something. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. And then people walk around for free. Um, so it's a completely different idea because we're looking for the breeders who have just a handful of couple, like a handful of rabbits, and they put a lot of care into each one, and they're going to be a good pet. They're not going to be, you know, dog training or something weird or meat or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're actually going to be a pet. So then when we get these vendors in and it's like six months goes by and all of a sudden they start bringing in fleas or they start doing this or they start doing that, it's like, they are, oh, well, I've done it for so many, and I know I didn't have fleas, and I know I didn't do this, and you're wrong about this. And it's like, no, 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 we've given you three chances, and then we, you know, we end up giving them six months to fix their stuff, and then they can come back, and if they don't, then we they're permanently, permanently banned. But it, it, yeah. that's always one of those tough conversations with people. It is. Yeah, that, or we've had a vendor try to, like, she just picked fights with other vendors all the time, and she was trying to, like, undermine our shows or other vendors. And we're like, no, I'm sorry. We have waiting lists for our tables, so we don't. I'm sorry, you can't be a part of this. We'll just fill it with someone else. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, we are totally over the time, but 
seeing as you guys are like similar to our age, this is, we think about age and talk about age a lot, like in the industry, like, do you think we are somewhat of a rarity? It's like, people are either very young well, or the what, people who are like, more into it. Are think, like what, in what ways positively and or negatively do you feel like your age has affected you in the snake reptile bird world? I think negatively, a lot of people, uh, maybe you see this too. The, um, uh, people who've been in it longer just don't take us seriously. Like, oh, we've been in it longer. We actually, we know better. We know more than you guys. And well, I've actually gone to college for this. I study papers regularly. I read papers, scientific papers. Um, but you just, you just get overlooked. But on the plus side, since we're as, uh, we're old, but since we're as young as we are, we can connect with the new herpers who are raising up right now and being introduced into reptiles and we can teach them to you know have an open mind when you're raising reptiles and things change all the time mm -hmm. and yeah it's we can teach them the current ways of keeping reptiles and i think we can connect with them pretty well and that does certainly help with the channel yeah they don't look at us like well you're like 40 you don't know anything <laughs> <laughs> right you're the perfect age for the young ones yes yes not too old where they write you off yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. pretty much <laughs> yeah it's essentially that's right on i feel about like uh similar things we feel sometimes yeah but ult ultimately i believe that i mean we all have to pay our dues and we are hopefully doing that now and it seems like the reptile industry kind of like replenishes itself every like three to five years there's a total new group of people so like in like three years we'll be like the old people. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What I love about the reptile world, though, is there's always more to learn. Like, there's always new species people are keeping or new ways we're find, finding to uh, to take care of them. And uh, that was one of the reasons why I left the bird world is because they've been in captivity for so long that people pretty much knew how they were, the best way to train them, the best diets. Diets are still improving a little bit, but they've been pretty stagnant for a while now. But with reptiles, everything is to be discovered, it seems. We still need to learn the right ways to take care of yeah. them. Or what is the best way? Everyone will claim this is the best way, but we really don't know yet, I don't think. I believe that we are in like the stone age of keeping snakes. Snakes in particular are the the least uh, thought about as far as our care is so basic for them, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's what makes them fun. So we get to be along for the ride. Yeah. And then, well, the other side of things is like I, I I keep green trees down like that's my my passion snake and stuff like that and there's a lot of keepers who sit there and go well I mean you should keep them in a sterile environment where there's not really much to do because if you introduce them to the dirt or you introduce them to live plants or something they might have bacteria that affect the snake and end up killing your snake so although you're putting them in this naturalistic enclosure they don't have the immunities to that. You're not getting dirt from Indonesia. You're not getting plants from Indonesia. You're getting dirt from the United States and plants from a you know, garden somewhere here. And then, you know, so it's like, well, where do you draw the line? And then it's, uh, then you just get back to the point where it's like, well, people keep them different ways. People, you know, successfully do it different mm -hmm. ways. So. And we've gotten unique tips and tricks from people who are very seasoned in the hobby. Yeah. Like Harlan Wall, yeah. like his penny in the water trip your water dish trick yeah that's a cool one that's cool have you guys used the pennies so i don't do that although i've heard harlan talk about it um 
And I've heard that, I mean, there was just a study, someone posted today on Facebook that someone actually studied it out how copper affects, you know, the drinking water of snakes in basically staging off respiratory infections and stuff like that. But oh. I didn't actually read it. I just read the headline like a proper millennial and moved on. Yeah. With my <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, just with that one, it seems to be like very focused because I think Harlan started it or at least had the initial idea. So therefore, like a lot of the green tree, Amazon, tree boa type people are uh, subscribed to it. So. Mm-hmm. And it works. It The water turns blue when there's urates in there. If there's a penny in the dish, it's crazy. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's this water is bl- like legit blue. I guess I'm ch- I guess I'll change it. Yeah. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. And more. So- yeah, yeah, we have one green, green tree, green and then yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't overthink it with that one animal, and it seems to work. So, what locale? It is a Jaya Sarong. It okay. was a U.S. captain born and bred by. Uh, I don't think he does it anymore, but a guy named Ben Sloan out of uh, Texas. So, okay, That's I was cool. lucky enough to find. You know, I wasn't looking to drop a lot of money, but I was looking to at least get something U.S. CBB. So, yep. Luckily, that kind of worked out. But what kind of uh, are you a locale guy, designer guy? What do you have, Green Tree wise? I have uh, three Biox that I basically, you know, got initially because that's what we first got one, and then it it had some issues, and we ended up losing it. And then I got like adults basically, um, and those are the three adult adults that I have. But then I have I really like the Sarongs with the the bright blue stripe all the way down, and I know the the Arus have it too, but the Arus are. I had Nuru and everybody was like, oh, they're the best ones you'll ever meet. They're they're friendly. They they they're super tame and calm. And that one bit me every time I went in that room. It was like I'd open up his enclosure to feed him and he'd bypass the food, bite me on the finger, then grab the food. And I was like, why? Why did you have to do that? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's I, I really like certain locales. But I mean, I watch I see all these people who are breeding them for the for the designer morphs. And it's like. Jeez, those are beautiful animals. And yours are close to breeding. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually cycling them right now. They got a week left, and then they're going to get food. Uh, start heavily throwing at them. So hopefully hopefully, I get some breeding going. I tried it last year, but as soon as I started giving food again, my male prolapsed on me. So I was like, well, that's pretty much out of that uh, this year. So, so, so that again, project that's like really yours, Emily, what is the project like you're super into that Ed, not as much? For me, it's probably the bull snakes because I have we have quite a few breeder bulls. We have uh, several clutches in the incubator. Uh, those hog noses and rat corns because I'm breeding for the scaleless gene. Like if I had to choose one or the other, I would choose my snakes to be scaled. But scaleless snakes are really cool too. Scrote snakes. Yeah, scrote snakes. <laughs> yeah. So we held one back from our first clutch. (laughs) Yeah, this is, hopefully there's no kids listening to this. I warned people on Patreon. I just was acknowledging it. I got it. He did half, he did half of the word. The rest of the word starts with the C. No, no, I trust you. Wait, (laughs) are you, wait. (laughs) I'm doubting your spelling abilities. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. Yeah, the rest of the word the you there you go um <laughs> but yeah uh, we we bred these uh scale of snakes last year we ha- hatched out two and the deal was like the person who gave us the pair he just wanted a baby in return so we're like yeah we can do that so he chose this really pretty orange scaleless which i'm glad he did because that was a good snake but we held back this white scaleless one the rest were all just hats 
But we kept this white scaleless rat corn because if you held it up to the light, you could see its heart beating through its skin. It was so strange. Yeah. So we held him back because we're like, will he keep this his entire life? And we still have him. His name is Scrote, and uh, he uh, has turned more orange. And you can't really see him, see through him as well, unless you have a really bright light behind him. But it's still a really cool snake. So we're raising him up. And oh, what else did we hold back last year? We held back bull snakes. Bull snakes. Yep, we held back Some of the uh, high binos and the snows. snows. Yeah, we held back one snow, one hypo snow. Or hypo um, white-sided albino because the snows are a little weird with bull snakes. The white-sided uh, gene has a bit of an exampic component to it. So if you have a bull snake that's albino and white-sided, it'll look like it's albino exanthic or snow. So there's actually two different types of snows with bull snakes. There's albino white-sided, which is called a false snow, and then there's albino exanthic, which is a true snow. So it's all crazy with bull yeah. snakes, but it's fun. It's so much fun to breed them. So pretty. Like, yeah. just completely white. And the nice thing about bull snakes is that they're good eaters. They'll eat the same day they hatch. You can give them a fuzzy. Like a frozen thawed mouse fuzzy. They'll just take it down. They don't care. And when we um, ship them out to new owners, people will be like, well, when should I feed it? I'm like, feed it tonight. It'll eat. Yeah. And they do. And it eats. It's great. <laughs> but on the other hand, hog noses. Oh, man. We've dialed back our hog nose breeding just because. <laughs> Let's not. Let's not. We yeah. Have yeah. Yeah. You <laughs> Then there's hognoses. We'll just leave it at yeah. that. There's a reason, the only one reason why we have a pet toad, and it's for scenting purposes for baby hognose snakes. And like, that's then I'll tell you how picky of eaters they are. <laughs> how like people like JMG do it. Oh, I don't that's know. Like, aren't you just pissed all the time? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Although it is fun when they come out of the egg, hognoses, they see a person and they're like, oh, a predator. And like, a quarter of them play dead. It's so funny. Like you'll see on these uh, Facebook groups for hognose snakes. Like, well, I hashed out three good ones and two that are defective. We hashed out two dead ones and they're just, you know, playing dead. It's just never done that. Well, that's the thing. It seems like they only tend to do that like right out of the egg, like very young, yeah. it seems. Yep. That's about it. Emily Hours just runs around and goes, boop, and they flip. Uh, let me see how many times I can hit the tub just to piss you off. Yes. You're going to flare up and hiss as you walk by. Like, you're not even messing with my tub, but I see you there. I feel, I feel your presence in the room. And so I've conditioned myself that when I feel your presence, I must just hit my face on the tub, you know? Yes. And then our just... male's like, I'm just not going to eat now. Yeah. yeah let's just not yep. eat now, now that we did yep. this whole thing. Yep. You look at them funny. They don't eat. But then again, I have a hog nose that'll eat in front of crowds at programs. So it really just depends on the individual. Well, like my female will eat when, whenever, wherever, but the male seems yeah, to. Yeah, and then she eats her eggs. And then, yeah, she oh. ate all of her eggs. Oh, no. <laughs> hey, it's coming out. It's going right back in. <laughs> Hognose just seems to be like a certain special kind of creature. You got to be yeah. a special kind of person to deal with a lot of them. Cause yeah. I'm not that person. <laughs> the same person that's patient. I mean, she's got to be very patient. I'm patient. I work with three year olds. Yeah, but and, and hognose. I'm much more favorite. patient with three year olds than hognose. <laughs> like, I will take a group of three year olds over a group of hognose any day. <laughs> I, I'll take the hognoses. Yeah, same here. <laughs> like a thousand hognoses, actually. Uh, <laughs> it really should be worth more than like a hundred bucks, though. Yeah. With all the work that goes into getting them to eat, usually. Man. It gets tough. Yeah. That's why some people charge more, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 
<laughs> okay, we are totally now past your time. Um, so if someone wanted to reach out to you guys, what's the best way they can get in contact with you? Uh, probably just info at snakediscovery.com would be best. Uh, we get a lot of emails and a lot of messages, though, because of the YouTube channel. So you can try to message us on Facebook if you want or in, in emails, but we sometimes aren't able to get to all messages unless it's like an emergency or it has to do with booking a program. So we will definitely try. And we have actually, if you email sales at snakediscovery.com, we have an auto response that has a Q&A that should answer your question. And if it doesn't, I will try to respond and answer it myself. <laughs> Ooh, I may email that just to see the questions <laughs> oh, so I can comment. There's things like, well, we get a lot of people asking, I'm looking for a good beginner snake. Can I buy an egg eating snake from you? And the Q&A covers that, <laughs> why, why egg eaters aren't very good beginner snakes. So yeah, you should do it. And then you'll kind of get a feel for like all the uh, questions we're asked. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And if, Seriously, if you're obviously you're on YouTube right now watching us and you probably already subscribed to them. But if you are not, they are the most like you guys have the most straightforward education based channel out there that's doing the right thing. So oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that. And what's our stuff? Um, sorry. <laughs> PortCityPythons.com. Yeah, there you go. PortCityPythons on Instagram. PortCityPythons on YouTube. And if you're watching us right now and you like the shirt that Joe is wearing, uh, it is on our uh, website. And if you're a 90s baby, tell us how many 90s references were in this podcast. Don't sue us via com Nickelodeon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that too. Um, we should be at a show in, <laughs> Eventually. in July. Yeah. Are we trying to do a show in July? I don't know. We'll, we'll let you guys know. Maybe Harvard or Grace. Maybe. 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 Are you going to Finley? Yes, hopefully. Well, we have a room booked. I hope so. Yeah, Max I just got to do the whole telling my boss thing. That hasn't happened yet. But you I mean, should it's probably just quit. But it's in October. It's so far to. away. Cool. Yeah. I mean, kind I'll of probably tell her far. in October 1st. But <laughs> 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 I need to take off five days. Or four Before you'll mysteriously get sick. You know, whatever. Mysteriously get sick. Totally. Whatever. But I'm assuming you guys are asking us because you guys are going to Tinley. Yeah, always. Yep, yeah. we'll be at Tinley. Such It'll a fun show. Here. He's been, but I haven't been yet. Oh. You haven't been to Tinley yet? I haven't. Oh, you'll love it. Whoa. This is going to be fun. And it's hard to take off five days for a snake thing. You it's know? <laughs> this is the snake thing to take off five days for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm true. taking off for the snake thing. These, okay? Yeah, but to not snake people, the snake Snake thing means nothing. It's still nothing. It's still nothing. It's, it's still nothing. Don't make me sad. <laughs> we were trying to end this. Um, okay. You're usually the good one at ending it. I know, but we very really have like fun people our age. So wow, no one else listened. Shots to fired. Uh -huh. That's Wait, not a bad thing. Go? It doesn't. It doesn't, we don't get people. Sorry to the other like often. 150 people That's, that you just said no, were lame. That, no, it has nothing to do with the lane. It has more uh, to do with the age. Very rarely do we get people our age. Okay. That's what you were saying. Okay, I can't worry, I'll, I'll this it out. before I piss anyone else off. <laughs> Thank you guys for watching and chatting, and we will see our listeners next week. Thank you, yes.